passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. A-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Welcome to Rewind the Dynamite. I am John Pollock. Alongside waiting. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was waiting for a how are you, uh, but I'll answer it for you. I'm I'm great. How are you, John? I'm doing okay. You know why? What? Because what happens when you're riding a bike and you wipe out on your bike? Do oh, you no. just do you just give up riding a bike? No, you get right back on it. And that's why tonight way at seven thirty PM. I set out for my pre-dynamite coffee. Good. I, I, I thought you had actually like wiped out on your bike. No, 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 no. I did not wipe out on my bike. That would okay. have sucked. That would have really did he sucked. Have an, was he wearing flip-flops while he was riding a bike? Is this... Oh, I wouldn't recommend ride? riding a bike with flip-flops. I mean, you can, but I, I always think that that's a little uh, unnecessary. So you grabbed your coffee. What were you wearing? I, I, went, I went with my, my new flip-flops, and they, they made the trek, but I... There was part of me that said, you know what, maybe maybe shoes are the safer bet here. But I said, nope, I've got to I've got to conquer this, and I and I did so, and they they held up. So one week in, um, this is a new era, but I made it. Yeah, I think you'd be pretty safe, you know, brand new pair. Like you know, once you're probably ten, I don't know how old your last pair was, but maybe even like depending on the make and quality of it, maybe maybe once you're like a year, maybe two years in, that's when you start the question. That it could be. Like I, I was telling myself, like they, they say that, you know, if you're, if you were ever in a, in a plane crash, you're never going to be in a second one. That was always the, uh, the joke with like Ric Flair was that, well, he was in one, he's never going to be in another or getting hit by lightning twice. To me, all those things could happen to me twice, but flip-flops breaking twice in a week. It's like, no way. The earth is just not compatible for such occurrences to happen twice in such a small window of time. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think the chances would have been pretty low. You could have probably, you know, done a marathon in those flip-flops. I think they'd be okay. Wait, what are your thoughts on stage three in Toronto, which is set for 
a rollout on Friday. Stage three, yes, uh, in Toronto. I mean, stage three, like all these stages, I, I believe, are, are terms that they use um, throughout, you know, different parts of the world. But stage three probably means different things depending on where you are. But in Toronto and Ontario, stage three means indoor dining, means... Um, uh, Which is, there isn't a chance I'm doing right now. No way. Well, it also means gyms are going to open. Um, okay. Increased gatherings of... 50 indoors, I believe. And 50 indoor, 100 outdoor? I believe so, yeah. Uh, so this is all going to start on Friday. And this also coincides with, you know, uh, like positive trends in numbers. I believe like yesterday we had our first uh, under 100 new cases since like March or something like that. So, I mean, all of this is really promising. The question is, of course, um, how comfortable people will be and whether or not these numbers can still hold up. Once we start opening all these other things, movie th- theaters too, actually. Yeah. So movie theaters included in all this, right? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, certainly a lot of the businesses are, are really needed. Um, but uh, yeah, the public's, you know, uh, comfort level, I- I'm sure will vary. But, you know, at the same time, th- there, there's going to be so many people that have just been waiting to go back to the gym or, you know, waiting to be able to sit indoors to eat and all these other things that I, I've, I have no doubt that a lot of these places will continue to do well, um, you know, even with perhaps more restricted ru- rules. You cannot, they say that you cannot stand up or at least they request that you don't stand up while you're eating. Um, like dining, dining in is restricted to sitting down unless you're going for the bathroom or like, I guess, walking in or something like that. What would prompt you to have to stand up while you're eating unless you were going to the bathroom? <laughs> like, do you just like, uh, everyone, I've got to make a toast to the entire bar here at uh, Frog and Firkin. You better make it sitting down. <laughs> um, or you better be a very tall man. Um, yeah, I, I think maybe it's the idea is to like prevent like bar atmospheres. Maybe that might have something to do with it, you know? Um like it's it, it's almost just like trying to specifically technically word it so that like mingling isn't necessarily uh, allowed, like walking around and mingling. Yeah, I'm I'm right in the middle because I I don't have a like desire like this this uh, demand to do any of this stuff. I'm so used to what my life has been like for these four months that I've just adapted to it. The other side of me though is looking at all of these businesses that so desperately need business right now. And I feel like uh, as a, as a member of like my city, I feel like a a duty to like help these businesses. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I understand that. I mean, you know, even as somebody at home, you can still support them by, by ordering takeout and, you know, doing what you're personally comfortable with. Um, It's an experiment. I mean, you know, our health officials deem it, um, uh, like, you know, the deem the risk level acceptable for now, and we await to see if it, it increases. Um, you know, proceed with caution. I think that's yes. the best advice. Proceed with caution. Don't be reckless. This isn't like we're turning the the calendar back to December, and you can just go go wild. Uh, you know, it's yeah. realize what we've been through, and that we are just taking the next logical step. But at the same time, we're not. You know, we're not sprinting to the to the next uh, objective where you know we could all come 
crumbling down. Like let's let's learn from mistakes that have been made elsewhere. Absolutely. I think that's one of the very important things to remember because I feel like with every like small step back towards normalcy, it, it can spread the idea that, hey, this thing's over. Let's like, you know, all hang out and take our masks off and, and pretend this doesn't exist. And that's simply not the case. We are here because we have been so careful and we have to continue to be careful because there are places in the world right now that have opened too soon that are seeing things that are uh, unmanageable right now. And Hong Kong being one of those places like Hong Kong for a lot for a time was like doing extremely well. Uh, you know, despite its close proximity to to China, the epicenter of uh, you know of the of the entire thing at the start. Um, now it's like got you know what they're calling like a third wave that is far more um, difficult to manage. So we really have to learn from um, all of these other examples. Did you happen to see um, Stephen Brunt's essay ahead of um, uh, that Sportsnet ran last night? Did you happen to see this? I did. I saw you tweeted out. I have not read it. It's 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 a it's a video essay. Um, okay. It's six minutes in length. You should definitely watch it. It's pretty powerful. What's it about? It's ju- it's like an essay that's uh, all about returning to sports. What we've been through the last few months. Like Stephen Brunt is like a poet when it comes to this stuff. He ties it into where the world has gone through this entire pandemic and. We've learned we can live without all of these things. We physically can live without them, but it takes away so much about the essence of what life is, our day-to-day lives that we've had to sacrifice, being with, being around people, sharing meals. And part of that is being in – taking in sports as part of a, a local community. And he tied it into 9-11 and how sports was such a big coping mechanism for people gathering and getting together. After a tragedy, I can't do it justice describing it, but it's amazing. It's uh, yeah, it sounds sounds pretty powerful. Um, and do you feel that way? Like, do you feel? I mean, certainly, like you know, sports. I think is 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 like that tool that really does unite communities really well together. Um, uh, yeah, you 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 you. What do you feel about it? I feel I feel sports play an enormous part in our culture in terms of it being a, a, a communal, a, 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 like a communal experience for a city to gather around. Like it's much more than just watching a bat hit a ball or a stick hit a puck. It's the entire like what it does to to galvanize an entire city uh, behind like a winning team. Like there's certainly like a big unifying factor that sports brings and i think that we 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 see such things during this time like i'm not trying to make sports feel like the be all end all during this pandemic but it is just one of the many examples of where we just feel isolated from people so i think it's people are feeling a bit of positivity now seeing a lot of these sports leagues come back and that it's just at least a public sign that we are moving forward there's some advancement being made because it's been months of either um, nothing happening or taking steps back. And I, I, I hazard to say we are out of the woods of this entire thing because oh, yeah. I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves because we could look very silly a month from now. Well, um, I think it's one thing to like, um, you know, have to move into stage three in our city. But when we just look at the bigger picture in, in North America, I think the, the the story might be very different. Well, yes, and, and uh, that's very, my, very much so. That's where my concern is. You know, is it is it 
depending on where you are, I, yeah, it, it, it might be time to like, you know, start celebrating the return of sports. But as we've seen, like with Major League Baseball right now, sometimes I, I worry definitely that that celebration is coming too soon and that it's unwarranted. Well, it's it's been like this week, based on the, the results of testing, it has been a 10-7 round in favor of the leagues with bubbles. Like the bubbles have worked. Uh, at least this this amount of time into this experiment where Major League Baseball being that outlier has shown, you know, the problems with the Miami Marlins and and God knows what else could occur because they are taking a much riskier uh, route to returning to play by having all of their teams traveling. So their season is suspended right now. Uh, it's not suspended, but there have been you know games delayed and. I mean, there. I, I, unless there was something uh, re- recent that has happened tonight, but no, baseball is still moving forward. I just meant for the Marlins. Oh, the Marlins. Um, I think they're supposed to be playing. I think they were supposed to play the Jays on Friday, and that's been delayed till Saturday. Right. Okay. Suspended through the weekend. Yes. Looks yes. Like. Yep. So that is uh that is the latest going on there. Okay. That is uh that is the uh, the cultural. 10 minutes from myself and waiting. Uh, we're going to move on because the, there's a bunch of news items and we're going to start off with uh, something related to dynamite. And that was tonight on the show. Uh, notably absent was Excalibur. We had Jim Ross, Tony Schiavone and Taz on commentary. And unlike uh, previous weeks where someone has been absent, there was no explanation for Excalibur not being part of the broadcast. And, it's led to most people connecting the dots that on Wednesday there was a, a video, a PWG clip from 2003 uh, that had surfaced involving th- – this was at a time when there was a feud going on uh, involving Human Tornado and Kevin Steen and Excalibur involved here. And this clip, it's a very short clip, but it features Excalibur. Generico was in there too. Uh, Generico was uh, in the shot too, and it's yeah, Excalibur and Kevin Steen both using the N word in their promos, and that has led to people speculating that that clip may have led to Excalibur being kept off tonight's show. I reached out to AEW; they have not got back to me. I mean, they were they're doing their television, so I didn't expect an answer back uh, tonight because we only found out about this when the broadcast began. Um, but I think it's you know the fact that they did not explain where Excalibur was, that's only going to further that speculation that one had to do with the other. And it it brings up another one of these uh, subjects about a past clip and what you, how as a promotion, they respond to it. It appears that tonight Excalibur was off the show, but what do you do with this? This is a 17 year old clip. And yeah, I guess, Wade, do you have any kind of, you know, solid opinion one way or the other it's very tricky i think to kind of navigate these stories this one being two people who i think you would certainly say that both would definitely regret this promo um is there any leeway the fact that it was done in a a performative setting as opposed to being caught on tape uh stating this or does the fact that it involves the n-word it doesn't matter how it was what context it was it it's very difficult for me to like man like put judgment down on on a on something like this cuz um there's so many different 
like let me let me factors involved here it's, it's if it was okay it's, it's the fact that it's an old clip it's the fact that this is pro wrestling and the man was cutting a heel promo um it's uh you know i and, and i personally don't even feel comfortable talking about this or, or laying judgment because i'm i'm not black um so i i i i i'm open to hearing a lot of opinions of, of you know people who who also have to chime in um but the, the, I, what I will say is that like AEW has set a precedent for with Sammy Guevara about you know punishing somebody for a clip that has like you know re- resurfaced from the past. Is there is there a, you know a, a, a time limit of like how long some something like this has to some how long you have to go back before you you would decide to punish somebody? Um, that I don't know, but you know so much of this has to do with PR and AEW. Uh, you know, at this point needing to, I would say they, they've set a precedent, you know, to show that they would have to act accordingly, whether, whether it be releasing some sort of public statement or perhaps, perhaps an extended, um, well, because tonight is a double set of tapings, right? Um, typically or, they'll tape Wednesday and then Thursday. Uh, so they did tonight's show live and presumably next week's would be taped tomorrow. Okay, so but we did we did have a clip uh, tonight where Taz did mention uh, I'll probably be here next week or something to that effect. So, hmm. I mean, uh, that was as much as we got in terms of a hint of um, you know what next week will entail broadcast wise. Gotcha. Yeah, um, I certainly would imagine that if uh, I I thought the clip was pretty bad. Like I even if you under the guise of like a professional wrestling promo. It was incredibly tasteless um, and, you know, probably had no right to exist at any point. Um, now, who do you place the blame on? Um, what do we know about the creation of that particular segment? What do we know about, like, all of these factors I, I, I don't know enough of, of to really, like, know who to place blame on. And, and if it's even right for us to place blame on anybody, like, 13 years later. 17 years later, 17 um, years later. And, and I mean, y- we don't have to get into like a whole like, you know, th- this amount of years, it's not offensive. This many years, it is offensive. I mean, it's y- you're going to join it or you're going to make your own uh, conclusion uh, about this. And to your point, way like me as a as a white male, I really cannot say like if someone were to come to me and say, I found this offensive, I, I-, I can't argue against that. Um I would look at this as two guys that did something for heat that was probably poorly thought out. And I'm sure in retrospect would greatly regret that. I look at a person in Kevin Owens, Kevin Steen, that I think you can look at this man's public actions today, that this is not someone who I would associate as someone that is problematic within professional wrestling. This was a 19-year-old at the time uh, that made a bad decision to get heat on a promo. And I think if you are a, a white individual, the the leeway for you to say the N-word is never. You're never, in any context, given the okay to use that word. And I think that would be um, – I, I don't think either of these men would, would argue that fact uh, today. But to another point you bring up is that we're just coming off the Sammy Guevara story – and does AEW feel, well, how can we brush this aside when we have just made th- this precedent? Um, and I think that gets tricky, too, when 
all these situations are going to have different context and different uh, parameters around them. Um, can we draw a straight line between them? And suddenly it's just a uniform policy of 30 days suspension. If something like this comes up, maybe, maybe it's just, that's easier to just do a blanket uh, policy um, versus weighing different uh, cases um, back, back and forth. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I would, I, you know, if, if people had a different perspective, like I, I would, like to hear it, but um, you know, much of the response I, I, I from AEW, I imagine would would have to depend on uh, what what the public, you know, seems to want to demand. What the public might be like, you know, feeling that type of reaction that's out there. Um, and yeah, I haven't really been on on the internet too much today to to see a lot of the response. But uh, whenever if AEW does make a response, I imagine we'll probably get a better gauge. Did, did you think that? Maybe not on the broadcast, but at least if they had put out a some kind of statement ahead of the show, just so that there's something Online, as opposed mean? to like on Twitter, uh, any kind of just explaining like what or is this because, something where because expect- it's so because it's so fresh, like I wouldn't have expected them to address it on TV because it is still like a relatively you know um, smaller story right now that um, might not be worth like I don't even know if they. Because it's a larger story by them taking them off TV. Like, I don't think we're talking about this if Excalibur was on the broadcast tonight and they just decided to move on. Um, Mm -hmm. But the fact he was off the show, it's now a story. And I think now people look at AEW for some kind of statement. And and for all we know, by the time people are listening to this, maybe they put something out um, Mm -hmm. to explain. Yeah, uh, who knows like what the decision was behind it. Perhaps they felt like if they did have Excalibur on that that would be insensitive and that they would also receive uh, criticism for that. Um, you know, it's it's a bit of a tricky situation, I think, for uh, AEW to or really like for people to react to. Um, and yeah, I, honestly, I don't I don't really have a clear answer right now. All right, well, we will continue to follow that story. As I said, I did reach out to AEW, so if we hear from them, we will uh, we will update accordingly. Let's move on to uh, Raw from Monday night. Uh, we won't spend too much time going over this. They did a million six hundred and seventeen thousand viewers, so slightly below last week's, which was their second lowest viewership figure. So this would be the new second lowest, uh, including their lowest hour to date, a million. 463 in hour number three. However, uh, they were up in the in the main demo from a 0.46 to a 0.48. But the story of this show was uh, the the third hour performance because across the board in the key demos, they were actually up or even in all of the main demos. But it was in the third hour that there were some extraordinary declines in in females 12 to 34. 58% 58% drop from the first hour to the third hour among adults, 18 to 34, a 47% drop. And with males, 12 to 34, 34% drop in hour three. Um, surprise so, at all. So what are we talking about here in the third hour? We had uh, all the, 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 the two big matches, Oscar yeah. and Kyrie Sane and Dolph Asuka and Sasha. Uh, sorry, Oscar and Sasha. And then Dolph drew. Now, was there a competition? Like, why, you know, like, that, this to me is like the, the good stuff. It's the main course of this show. What explanation could you come up with, John, of why people would be tuning out? I mean, even, even when it's loaded up, I always expect the third hour drop. But this was a dramatic one when it came to 
you know, younger viewers that Raw is struggling with and, and NXT is as well, kind of in concert with one another that they, they have seen enormous declines among a younger audience. And I can't, I can't pinpoint it as just third hour burnout. Like this to me was like an active, um, tune out by so many people, like more, more than half of the females between 12 and 34 that tuned into this show tuned out by the third hour. And yeah, that is very surprising given these two matches were promoted heavily for a week. Um, for whatever reason, the, the third hour did, uh, much, much worse than you would assume, especially when this was such a loaded up uh, third hour. Um, Can you expect any sort of reaction to this? Will they perhaps go on to peak again at the 10, 10 o'clock hour like they, they had in the past? Um, It's like like this is like it's been a message for a long time that the typical raw viewer has two hours of attention for this show. That is pretty much their level and then it's going to the anchor is going to be that that third hour that's going to drag down the entire number um but that that third hour is not going anywhere um that i think that would that would answer some of the problems but not address the overall uh, issues at this point but uh, that compromise might be to your point that do we just peak for the second hour and the third hour it's a guarantee we're going to lose audience so let's put in enough that's going to keep those hardcores that are going to watch from start to finish like like us uh and for the rest it's th- that that can be the tune out time at at 10 o'clock i don't know I, like every week we talk about these raw numbers i don't have like this drop down menu of solutions for them to go to uh the idea of advertising in advance you couldn't have asked for much more like two rematches coming off the pay-per-view that they plugged all week long um unless you just look at it that these are matches people did not want but I, I have a hard time just pinning it on the two matches being a turnoff to people um, when, you know, this was just uh, more to me than just uh, you can just pin it on the, the two matches. I just think there was an overall turnoff at some point during the, the prior two hours. Uh, and what what is sports competition looking like? When is it coming and, and what will it be? Well, it like everything's coming back over the next couple of days. Like we've had... Um, Major League Baseball that was back over the weekend, but I I don't even think there were like any games going against Raw on Monday. Uh, but we are going to start to get NBA, which to me will be a big factor for all of the shows. NHL, I don't know how much of a dent it's going to make, but also looking at the baseball games, like there was there was a big game on Thursday night, which was the first night back, and then throughout the weekend, like it's it's nothing that was too crazy. Like the UFC uh, went against a baseball game on Fox on Saturday night. Uh, UFC was number one on cable. Uh, the baseball game did under 3 million viewers. It's not like you're talking about this incredible audience that's tuning in for baseball. Uh, will NBA be any different? We'll see over the next week, but that that is going to be a factor for the ensuing weeks, and that's for Mondays, for Wednesdays. Uh, I haven't looked at the schedule for NBA recently, but that's something that you would you would peg as like a key competitor for for all pro wrestling shows. Yeah, we're not even talking about football yet. No, no, that's that's all still to come. So th- like that's the other part. It's like this is the time of the year WWE usually, you know, gets like boosts their numbers because of a lack of options. Like they're by historical data would suggest that once football comes back, like th- this is not rock bottom for the year that there's going to be plenty more this year that uh if NFL starts like normal, 
where is Raw going to be mid-September and into October? Um, that's, to me, a concern. And it goes beyond just you know a lot of like wrestling outlets that are looking at these numbers. Uh, Variety had a story today about how the big drop in in WWE's viewership over the past two years and the fact that they've gone to Fox, which is in so many more homes than when SmackDown was on USA and the lack of increase or just looking at the increase that should be so much more. Um, there was also uh, an analysis put out today by a, a group looking at, you know, viewership over the long term and how that could affect um, whenever their or once their TV rights come up in four years so it's light shed it, partners. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think they are making like a big jump to try and predict what the television market is going to look like in four years. I think you're completely guessing that even a loss in viewership, like if WWE's numbers or WWE's contracts were up now, I would still feel comfortable that USA and, and Fox would be still in the WWE business. So, and it's impossible to predict four years from now. That's just so. So far, you have no idea what television is going to look like then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but people yeah. are taking notice. This is d- definitely a story to watch, and it segues well into uh, the quarterly report that comes out uh, Thursday late afternoon, and will probably be a big subject on the earnings call. Well, I've always felt like um, things like you know uh, declining ratings were somewhat understated um, and not really talked about as much as perhaps you and I might be in other you know wrestling. Uh, journalists might might talk about them in these sort of uh, uh, conference calls and, and investors meetings. So, you know, if it takes outside publications to do analyses like these in order to get these conversations going and these calls, then uh, we'll see if it works. Uh, Cody did an interview with uh, Mark Ramundi at ESPN. And this interview, this was great. Every single question Mark had, it was just right to the point, getting like news bits out of every single question. Like there was, there, there was no, uh, no fluff in this interview at all. I thought it was, there were some really great questions here, just addressing a ton of subjects. Um, he talked about, uh, this, uh, this came up on Ask Away this week about AEW's, uh, second show or like a third hour, like adding to their programming. And Cody indicated that, He'll have a better answer in four to six weeks, which was kind of just not really answering the question, but did kind of state that they would be focusing on wrestlers that aren't always featured on Dynamite on Wednesdays, uh, whether it be people on the roster, off of the roster. And it makes you think, like, what is this additional programming? How will it be different from from Dark that exists right now? Yeah, um... (laughs) Because I don't feel a show like Dark would do very well on a big platform. I absolutely don't think so either. I mean, I I, I really have to just look at what they've been creating thus far that has not been on Dynamite. And I think, in my opinion, if they had to scramble together something right now, it would probably be a combination of Dark along with some of their Road 2 specials, um, like some of that sort of content, and maybe even throwing in a bit of BTE in there just as a place for guys who don't get that airtime, not just in ring, but also in terms of backstage segments and storylines to get those showcases on TV. Uh, And do they, do they take any lessons from WWE that the short term money that comes with additional content you produce? Is there an effect it has on your audience long-term that there's a certain burnout to your product that I think (laughs) invariably WWE has gone through. They're making that revenue off that third hour. And maybe that's worth the erosion in your audience. But I think a big positive of AEW is that 
It's two hours a week. You can watch Dark if you want. I don't think it's even a bad thing that Dark is not must-see. It's you follow two hours, you get a good fill of AEW, and then it's a week until the next show. And I think there is something to be said for that in terms of a company that's trying to grow as opposed to a company like WWE that's trying to maintain its audience. Yeah, that's certainly true. Um, But, you know, if you're AEW right now, you're not running live shows, a deal like this comes along. Um, as you know, a major source of revenue, you're probably going to do everything you can in order to make that show like, you know, must see TV for your audience. And, uh, man, dark this week was two hours and it was two, it was 12 matches. I didn't realize it was so long, two hours. It was two hours. So like, um, I think dark as it exists, it, it, it's difficult to translate that directly, but, um, I, I, you know, I, I, I'll say like, I feel the, the company is very, very aware of like, um, how much to give its audience and they seem very in tune with like the audience's want. So if you do get into a situation where it's like, you know, they, they, they feel like they're demanding too much of their, their crowd. I, I feel like they should be able to handle it, or at least I'm interested to see how they handle it right now. We are just talking about one extra hour, aren't we? Yes. That's yeah. what it that's what it sounds like. Um they they kind of just couched it as either like uh an additional hour or a se- uh, or another show, but um not really getting into the specifics of it. But yeah, it, it, that's what it kind of sounds like. Um Mike Tyson was brought up here. It was a pretty vague answer just saying there's a relationship between Tyson and AEW. Um and Cody said, "I think that I think that's a thread that those guys will likely pull if not now, then in the future." And I mean, that's very vague, but I read that as they are not expecting Tyson to be available now for All Out with this Roy Jones Jr. exhibition that's been announced for the following weekend. And uh, Roy Jones did an interview stating that the deal with Tyson came together over the last month and a half, which would be after all the stuff at Double or Nothing involving Tyson. So I would imagine that Tyson was in talks with AEW, but then this came along, and that's like I'm not expecting him at all out at this point, but maybe down the road they will do something with him. Right. Sounds like something that um, they've kind of prematurely agreed to. They even shot an angle for, but uh, haven't necessarily, you know, determined when that would be yet. But, you know, Tyson's a big enough name that you can really do that at any point and still probably be a big deal. Maybe they were right at the finish line with Mike Tyson to sign. They thought he was in for sure. He does this Roy Jones Jr. fight. And AEW, they send a text to Rocky Romero. They fucked us. Wow. Yeah. That was my Anderson and Gallows analogy, but mm-hmm. I don't think I explained it as well. Uh, what else was uh, brought up here? Um, the rest of it, it was uh, yeah, just talking about free agents. He mentioned uh, Matt Cardona, who we'll talk about today, and Rusev as well as kind of the the interesting free agents. And Definitely wanted to throw, just fan the flames about Rey Mysterio, and uh, that might be something that someone else is currently discussing with him at this point. You just never know. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure they, w- they would go to great lengths to gra- uh, get Rey Mysterio, and Cody also said there's no heat with Gallows and Anderson. They made a business decision, and he has no issues with those guys at all, and didn't even close the door on them potentially uh, doing anything with AEW in the future. All right, cool. Thanks, Mark. King of pro wrestling title way. Is this a thumbs up or a thumbs down? You have had a day and a half to uh, 
digest this title, which uh, for, for those that are not familiar, this was part of the uh, the press conference they had for the Summer Struggle Tour that uh, culminates with the Jingu Stadium show at the end of August. And what's going to happen, they're going to do a eight men will be involved in a tournament where eat, and this is all going to be done on the Cork and Hall show, August 27th. And so it'll be four matches with each match having some stipulation attached to it. The four winners will go to Jingu Stadium to have a fatal four-way match, and that will be the stipulation in the four-way to crown the King of Pro Wrestling champion, which will not be represented with a belt, but instead you will do these stipulation matches, and whoever has the the crown at the end of the year is declared, I guess, the winner for that year, and then it resets in the new year. It resets in the new year, like, it, or or does it reset like in the summer? Uh, I thought this was at the end of the year. Right, I can okay. get the exact wording uh, here, but uh, what are your what are your thoughts? Well, about first the, of uh, all, I I I find it um, just even the explanation of it because I've I've <laughs> I've I've read it multiple times. Um, I find it very convoluted. First of all, it's not something that is that easy to to um, I, I guess understand just by describing to somebody. Um, it's not, you know, as simple as like you win the new Japan cup and you go on to get a championship match, or if you win this round robin tournament over the summer, you get a championship match at wrestle kingdom. Like it's, it's a bit more, um, you know, it would probably take, it's like playing a, a brand new board game, you know, like explaining the rules is like, huh? But you play once and then you, you're like, okay, I understand. So I think when, once we actually see it in action, it's, it, it'll be fine. But like, uh, certainly like, uh, you know, at the beginning, it's it's a little convoluted um for all the people that i think have been complaining about new japan be, being too too much like a you know american wrestling lately they're certainly i imagine not going to be too happy about this uh the addition of more you know gimmick style matches uh and they specifically stated like some examples of like what ladder match steel cage right yep uh so we shall see um I'm willing to give it a chance. Uh, I'm certainly curious to see New Japan's take on, for instance, the steel cage match or even a, a ladder match with Okada in it or something like that. That interests me. Um, and, you know, if they can get creative with other types of matches, can we get a Minoru Suzuki, you know, being a king of pro wrestling champion and declaring everything shoot shoot style matches or something like that, or submission matches? Like some of the like the, the opportunity for creativity intrigues me. Uh, but the into- opportunity for shenanigans um, makes me um, very nervous about it uh, because if it's like a, you know, if, if it's this sort of same bullet club type of booking that Gato seems to be so uh, mm-hmm. obsessed with, I mean, we currently, you know, in Western American wrestling are experiencing probably the, like the deepest end of like gimmick matches that we've probably ever seen in the form of eye for an eye matches or anything like that. Um, I'm, I'm hoping <laughs> we are far from that point uh, with new Japan pro wrestling, but uh, I I'm willing to at least, you know, see what they have to offer uh, for this iteration coming up. Yeah. There's certainly a lot of red flags uh, when I read through this of reasons, I will not enjoy this, but you have to keep an open mind and see how it's executed. But they're, I think certainly a lot of resistance this this concept will be met with. But yeah, it's the the four singles matches are the August 26th show at Cork and and then the four way August 29th at 
the Jingu Stadium show. And that joins the matches they've confirmed with Evil, Tetsuya Naito in a rematch for the IWGP and Intercontinental title. And then we have Taiji Ishimori challenging Hiromu Takahashi for the junior heavyweight title. And that's all we've got announced so far for this stadium show that we are a month away from as of today. I mean, one of the problems is, you know, certainly like a lot of this, this announcement of this new title is, has been met with a lot of criticism because New Japan had already has so many titles. But um, unfortunately, the U.S. title is gone right now. The, you know, Red Pro British title is, is not being used right now, of course. And you still have this double championship thing going on where the IC title and the U.S. title or sorry, and the world title are are being defended in the same thing. And they have a lot of shows to run. So uh, I do understand why they would add a new new championship at this point. All right, and uh, the final uh, note here is that the UFC has officially announced Khabib Nurmagomedov, Justin Gaethje for the UFC lightweight title um, at UFC 254 on October 24th. Um, and then to crown the number one contender, they're going to have eight lightweights uh, that are going to choose stipulation matches on the <laughs> undercard. No, that's uh, I'm joking. But uh, this really uh, this is their uh, October pay per view, and that means we've got Stipe Miocic. Stipe Miocic and Daniel Cormier on August 15th. Then September 19th, it's uh, Israel Adesanya and Paulo Costa and Nurmagomedov Gaethje in October. And what's interesting is that Nurmagomedov is pushing the idea of fighting Justin Gaethje in October and then fighting George St. Pierre next year. And when Dana White was interviewed about the idea that if Nurmagomedov had uh, two fights left in his career – if he gets by Gaethje, would he would Dana be open to trying to make the St. Pierre fight? And White uh, came down on like he had not been in favor of that fight happening. And he made a turnaround and said for Khabib, if that was his last fight, yes, I would try and make that fight. And it's a fight that at a time both. Well, Khabib certainly wants it. And at a time that was the fight George wanted. And then it was they couldn't make they couldn't get the deal done with uh, UFC. But. Way of those three pay-per-view fights and the, in theory, Nurmagomedov, George St. Pierre fight, I think we may have a fight in there that Wei Ting is going to sit down and order. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, uh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, if George was going to come back, uh, of course I would come back and watch. Um, you know, uh, it, it sounds like UFC is doing a, a pretty good job of building up big matches. These are going to be gigantic fights, I think, given their success that they've had on on pay per view on ESPN Plus. Uh, I think like these next three months are going to be big, big fights. And if you can get to Nurmagomedov, George St. Pierre, gigantic, gigantic fight. Um, I wonder what weight class would that be. Well, I mean, George has said in the past he could get down to lightweight. I think. If it was truly going to be Nurmagomedov's retirement fight, would he do a catchweight with George and they fought at like 160 or something like that? Um, like George has fought at 170 his entire career. And, you know, when he ventured up to fight Michael Bisping at 185 pounds, I mean, granted, that was putting on weight as opposed to cutting it. But that's when he got colitis and it really fucked up his body. Like that's that's why he couldn't defend the middleweight title. Uh, does he does he want to make such a drastic cut? 
against an opponent, the level of Nurmagomedov. And he, by that point, he will not have fought in over three years by the three and a half years, by the time uh, you can get around to like next spring. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it would be interesting where, like if if they would make a concession to fight at a weight at a, like a catch weight of one sixty or one sixty five, I'm sure Nurmagomedov would be willing to come up to one seventy for that fight if if absolutely necessary. Um, I don't think it's a case where either guy would be doing it for the money. I think it's just a fight both of them want for their for their legacies because both like George now and Khabib as well, like both could walk away now and they will never have to worry about money. Yeah, but come on, you could always have more. You can always have more. That is that is true. That's that's the uh, the lesson of life as we get set for Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. in September. Mm-hmm. All right, all of your news you can go find at postwrestling.com. Uh, but first way, what is coming up? Uh, what's on the site right now? What can I go find if I want to listen to something? Well, as John mentioned, we have just released our latest edition of Ask Away, the most controversial show. In Post Wrestling's catalog. That is available right now for all patrons, along with our entire month's worth of Patreon shows. That's every edition of Rewind to SmackDown, our final MCU review, talking about Spider-Man Far From Home, as well as a couple of Rewind Aways, as well as our entire back catalog up at postwrestlingcafe.com. So if you become a patron right now, or decide to become a patron on the first of the month, which is this Saturday, you have access to everything and more coming up for the entire month of august uh also on the site of course we have uh my review of sengoku lord from new japan pro wrestling uh on this uh from this sunday that's also on our post wrestling cafe uh we didn't even get to talk about this but minoru suzuki and yuji nagata is happening like hours from now isn't it uh that's right yeah it's thursday show so yeah by the time people are listening to this it's Probably happened already. Yeah, that should be a really fun match between these I, two. I'm really excited for that one. John and I will probably have a chance to discuss it on Rewind to SmackDown this week, uh, which is coming up Friday. So uh, beyond that, up next is there right now, probably on your feeds as you're listening to this. The best battle of the over 50 audience is being handled by New Japan in several hours. I mean, these guys could be 60 or 70. As long as they like fight like this, I'll, I'll definitely still watch. Oh, it's it's Friday. It's Friday morning. Friday, Friday morning. morning. Okay, well then, so, so you have an, a, a day to prepare for uh, Yuji Nagata, Minoru Suzuki, and uh, Hiromu's off that show as well. He missed today's show, and he's off Fridays. They just mentioned a, a left shoulder injury, but they only listed those two shows that he's off. So I would imagine it's a minor injury. Got it. Okay. Well, either way, uh, John and I will be discussing that on Rewind SmackDown this week, which is back live. It is back live Friday night. I will be there with Way, 10, 15 p.m. Eastern time. And we'll also have a show coming up Friday. Uh, I'll be joined by Brandon Thurston of WrestleNomics, and we'll go through the, the second quarterly report from WWE and the earnings call. And we'll see if they discuss uh, demos, minute by minutes, second by second ratings analysis. We'll get into all of it uh, with Brandon. Always great when we can uh, get Mr. Thurston on the show. And then we're uh, into the weekend. Got a UFC card coming up on Saturday night, and there's also going to be a report on the site Sunday from Davey Portman, who will be tackling Talkin' Shop Mania, and we'll have a, a written report at postwrestling.com to make sense of that show that's happening on Saturday night. Uh, the vacationing Davey Portman right now, and I believe uh, John Cena is actually filling in for him this week on uh, Up Next, so uh, go check that out with Braden and John Cena. Yes. I was on impact duty Tuesday night for Davey. 
I saw that. Yes. How was Impact's um, second show after the pay per view? Not great. Um, it was not a great show. They are doing a new comedy s- series of segments where they've put like 10 of the performers inside a house and it is called Wrestle House. And I understand the like the concept is okay, this empty studio, like the the ring setup, like in Skyway Studios, it's really tough. So let's put people in a scenario where it's not wrestling, although there is a ring in the backyard, but we can also rely on a laugh track and just something to, to let's shake make up. A sitcom, like a reality That's, show. Like they're they're doing a reality show. It's more of a parody of a reality show, but it's it was very unfunny on Tuesday night, save for Johnny Swinger, who is a really great character and, and works in that environment. But I'm not kidding way. We had so Tommy Dreamer is the host, and he just plays the over-the-top host, and, and he's he's fine in this role. So the ring is set up in the backyard, and anytime there's a conflict, Tommy Dreamer can call a match. So when two performers were trying, we had AC Romero and uh, who was it? Crazy Steve. They were both trying to, they couldn't find beds because there's six beds, but 10 people. So they were both trying to claim the ring as their bed. So they had to have a match over who got to sleep in the ring. Fast forward, and the Deaners are sharing a room, and one of the Deaners, I think it was Cousin Jake, is snoring. He's woken up, and he denies that he was the snorer. So him and Cody Deaner fight, where the loser is the one to admit that they were snoring. And and are these, like, full matches, or are we talking, like, cinematic matches? Like I mean, they're... I mean, they're shot outside and they're not like there's no kind of production attached to them. It's okay. they're just really quick matches in a backyard where one of the other wrestlers serves as the guest referee. So it was the comedy didn't seem to land with you. Or not anything? really. And there was a lot of reliance on comedy on this show that I mean, impact. I do feel like they are pretty good with, with comedy. But in this setting, like a lot of it did not land very well. Uh, we had the Good Brothers have their first match. They beat Reno Scum. They set up a Heath Slater to have his first match next week, where if he beats Moose, he gets a roster spot. Um, you know, it's, oh, there was actually one really great line in this Wrestle House thing where they start arguing. God, I can't remember the context of it right now, but Cousin Jake is in this argument and he yells, no way, Jose. And Tommy Dreamer pops his head in and says to the camera, no, we didn't sign him. <laughs> the timing was very good. Okay. Now, I'm not doing justice to that joke. No, no, uh, no. It was My, amusing. I, I'm, I'm laughing. Uh, a lot bigger. Clever. The mic's not catching it. Yeah. But o- overall, uh, the best thing on the show was Eddie Edwards and Trey Miguel. Uh, they were in the opener. Uh, it, was, it was like the, the only real like wrestling match on the show, I would say, was, uh, what, what was good. And... Like it was a long two hour show, I felt. So not not the greatest follow up to uh the pay per view and last week's episode that um okay. built some interest for impact. All right. Well thank you for that quick report. Um Did I did to- I save you two hours? Are you gonna be uh, did you get the recommendation to go watch Impact after tonight's show? To be quite honest, I am kind of interested in this Russell House thing. Like I, I, I commend anybody for like, you know, taking a negative right now with very limited uh production space and whatever production time and trying to create a new concept out of it. Uh, comedy in professional wrestling, uh, you know, can o- often like 
they can they can give you maybe just a you know peaks and valleys uh, in terms mm-hmm. of reactions you, and it could be different for anybody uh if it hits it hits really well and if it's bad it's really bad uh sometimes i kind of enjoy both but it, it, i i have like impact like they are a pretty like some of their writing is like very funny and i i'll give it like an opportunity week one i wasn't a big fan of it but i could see it becoming something better and i understand the thinking behind it i don't think it's a a flawed idea at all to try and do something outside of the studio Mm want to give a shirt away yes it is time to go to our on location studio it's the post wrestling store run by uh all of the uh well it's run by way so yes. let us go into the, the, the vast list of post-wrestling cafe members. If you're a member of the cafe, you are automatically entered in this draw. So if you are thinking of joining the cafe, $6 a month, wait till this Saturday, join the first of the month to get the, the most bang for your six bucks, and you will be entered into this draw for every Wednesday of the month of August to win an item from store.postwrestling.com. But Way, let us let us dig in and find out who the lucky winner is this week on Rewind to Dynamite. Congratulations to Scott Clark. Scott Clark out in New South Wales in Australia. Congratulations. You win a t-shirt of your choice from store.postwrestling.com. Wow. That will be one that will be uh, mailed out. That will not be a hand delivery. Uh, I will. Yeah, I don't think I'll be doing much traveling. I, although I would love to go to Australia at some point. I mean, what better excuse than the go deliver a uh, prize? Uh, no, I can't think of one. All right. Congratulations, Scott. And let's head into Dynamite from Wednesday night. And do check out Up Next uh, with a whole review of NXT with John Cena subbing in for Davey Portman and the now 29-year-old Braden Harrington. He's always a baby to me. Wow. Who did listen to our show on Monday about uh, when I when I called him out for not listening? I'll bet he. I'll bet somebody just told him about it. Hey, listen. That's what me. I thought, but I felt uh, after I didn't give him enough credit, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he did listen. Okay. Or Brandon from New Jersey sent him a message. Mm. Probably the latter. Okay, so we had Taz on commentary with Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone, and. We got a survey of the crowd. Brian Pillman Jr. was back in the front row. So I guess you could assume he will be on uh, future episodes of Dark that were taped. And Jim Ross notes that we are as live as live can be. And kicking things off, it's the five-on-five tag with the inner circle taking on the best friends and friends. We've got Trent, Chuck Taylor, Orange Cassidy, Luchasaurus, and Jungle Boy. Uh, NXT was countering uh, by opening the show with the women's tag with Io Shirai and Tegan Knox against Candice LeRae and Dakota Kai. I-, I thought NXT had a pretty intriguing lineup on on paper. They pretty much got the whole lineup out uh, ahead of time today. Yeah, when you say ahead of time, like like that's within the hours, hours, they had a, a deep list uh, oh, going God. into today. They had what two matches? That's to me, that's pretty meaningless. You know, like, I think Gargano and Roderick Strong. Uh, I'm looking forward to watching that when we're we're done this. I think that could be very good. But you know, if there's a lesson to be learned, I think from from these several weeks, it, it's that like announcing your cards in advance, if they are strong cards, it really pays off. And when you have like, I, I agree with you. I thought NXT had a really stacked lineup today, but like the fact that I didn't have you mm-hmm. know as much time to digest it, you know, like we spent the weekend really talking about this Warhorse Cody thing, 
like Warhorse of all people. When you know NXT could have definitely like you know stolen some of that thunder. Um, but yeah, I just I don't understand why why it takes them so long to announce these cards, if at all. Well, I definitely hope that the excuse for the raw number that the the end result is they look at well we promoted these two matches for a week and people tuned out that they're going to just abandon that concept like i think that you have to try things and make it a pattern that and maybe do a whole lot more than two matches like i think they take for granted people dedicating three hours a week that i'm just going to tune in because it's raw like you need to spend every week enticing people to come back next week that i'm going to spend three hours on this show we're going to give you three hours worth of reasons to come back next week i think that they have to go more overboard like look what AEW does like you know exactly what you're getting next week because you go off the air and to that point about cody and warhorse it gives you a week for people to discuss this and talk about these matches and build anticipation when you have something that's worth anticipating yeah yeah provided that you don't change the show like right before you tape Jericho is introduced. He's the demo god and le champion, and he is wearing his orange juice stained jacket. So things get underway with everyone fighting around the ring. Trent hit an acai moonsault, and then Jungle Boy hits this leaping hurricane rana, sending Santana off the edge of the apron to the floor. Luchasaurus then military presses Marco to the floor. He's caught by Jake Hager, who tosses him back to Luchasaurus, and then they dive off the apron with stunt on Luchasaurus's back. Everyone's down, save for Marco, who starts celebrating. They get the advantage on Trent for a long time. Uh, Guevara is uh, squatting with Trent on his shoulders, and eventually Luchasaurus is tagged. And then in this brawl, he nearly loses his mask which Jim Ross did not identify as a mask. He stayed true to the character. He said he's coming out of his skin. Jeez. This was that, an extremely... Did Sorry? Did dinosaurs do that? They shed skin? I guess you, you had to make sense of what was happening to this, this live dinosaur in front of you. Made sense to me. Yeah, th this was very sloppy looking. Um, then Luchasaurus uh, put his face back on and hit the spinning lizard to Guevara... Jericho got uh, Floyd the bat, but Cassidy stopped him, and then they kind of just took off and brawled over the, the barricade. And, I mean, Jericho was almost like, like he was very subdued in this match. He was not really someone focused upon, uh, nor was Orange Cassidy. They had, like, their one spot, and then we'd see more of them later in the show. Uh, Guevara stops a choke slam, hits a Shining Wizard, and then climbs to the top when this music plays, and unfortunately... Uh, Sammy Guevara has come down with the, the WWE phobia of music altering your movement because he froze and Matt Hardy shoved him into a chokeslam by Luchasaurus and hit a roundhouse kick, pinning Guevara 12 minutes, five seconds. I thought it was a fun multi-man match. It was you know thoroughly entertaining, no dead spots at all. I think you can really count on like a lot of like their entire roster to like make sure that every moment is has something going on. It's not just, you know, you're not seeing rest holds or anything like that. Everything is is pretty packed and pretty creative. Did not like the finish. I thought this was like a rare occasion of AEW doing like a pretty, you know, lazy, cliched musical distraction finish that they've kind of made a name for avoiding up until this point. And not only that, I just didn't really like the idea of a baby face and Matt Hardy coming out here to help other baby faces cheat to win without any real justification, in my opinion. You know, against Sammy, I thought it made the faces look weak, and I know that they're probably gonna like say this is Matt getting some form of revenge on Sammy from several weeks ago, but 
I I don't even remember at this point like what that what that was over. And even so, I don't think it's enough justification to interfere on another person's part. And again, it made Aubrey look incredibly stupid here. And that's another thing I had an issue with was I, I do think it's a fine line between like, you know, protecting your own credibility as an announcer and making your official officials just look stupid. And there are plenty of moments in this match where the action broke down. Aubrey just let it all go. Um, I didn't even notice it myself, but the announcers continued to point it out which in, in this case I felt did more harm than good because they were straight up having debates about it. And, you know, only long into the conversation did Tony finally like offer to some sort of justification for why Aubrey might be letting things go. And it's not an, uh, a new issue with AEW tag matches, but I do feel like by this point, they either need to get their announcers and the refs on the same page, either by, you know, having them enforce these rules or by communicating and creating believable explanations about why referees are letting things go. Because otherwise, I think you're just making your 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 official like your rule sets look amateur. Yeah, I I didn't get into this match anywhere near some of the multi man tags we've seen over the last couple of weeks, which granted have been at a pretty high level. But yeah, I had the same issues you did. Um, I thought it was a really long period that they spent on, on Trent, um, and then maybe it was the break in between. We also got picture in picture returning in Canada tonight. So we did have that. Um, but yeah, the, the finish just felt very convoluted and especially on a show where you are promoting a tornado tag to do something like this, where there's no real discernible difference between a tornado tag and this regular multi-man tag where, you know, rules are not enforced and we're almost going the opposite way now because they point out with FTR that they're putting it in their contract that the tag rope exists for them. Like it's like that's the gimmick is that we obey the rules. Um, yeah, it, it's very strange. And it's something that they have never gotten a real handle on. That's been consistent throughout AEW with a lot of these tags. Um, but yeah, I, I I I don't know. I didn't by, by the end of this with, with the finish. It, it was it kind of soured me on this. Ross does a PSA that we're all following our rules. We've got our masks. So he held up his mask and then he put it down. Not that I would expect the announcers to be putting their masks on, but he pointed it out. Um, but then he also noted all the testing that, that he has done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there um, we go. It's, it, it, I appreciate like the, you know, the messaging for sure, but um, it's, it's, it's definitely inconsistent in that. Like, I, again, I don't expect the announcers to, to wear masks either, but like, it feels like even like it, it, ringside this week, I feel like there were definitely less masks than even prior weeks. And mm. it's almost like, you know, they've kind of given up on enforcing it um, to, to the, to the people sitting around the ring. And it's just like, wear one if you want to, it seems. Yeah. That kind of feels what it is. Like whether there is a policy or not, it's not being enforced. Um, that's kind of where it is. Moxley does a promo. He tries to stay out of people's business if you leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. And he thought he was done with Brian Cage, but then he attacked Darby. He doesn't start fights, but he does end them. And we cut back to Taz. He says, John Moxley is terrified. <laughs> I thought Taz was great on this show. He was like, he, he's been very good in this manager role, but I thought as a, as, as playing a color commentator, like I've always enjoyed him, but I, I thought he was at another level tonight. He was one of the highlights of the show for me. I totally agree with you. I think he's been able to like, like you know straddle that line between uh unbiased color commentator and somebody who is biased when he's talking about somebody that his guy is trying to feud over he flips between those two roles seamlessly 
Uh, and I think he excels at both of them. He's a great color guy, adds, adding a lot to this team, uh, and he's a great manager when he needs to be. I, I was I was always a huge fan of Taz during you know during, during the SmackDown run, and you know that guy leaning on you know his. his his credibility and and calling like serious situations like he had just a great knack for that and then we saw him in like TNA where he just went so far on the comedy route and mm-hmm. i i was not a fan of that and it seems here he's found a real good balance of that mm-hmm. he's able to navigate it very well and it really works for him totally agree you know um instead of seeing like in WWE it was very much like comedy guy and then occasionally serious Mm-hmm. Uh, TNA might have been all, all comedy, but this time it's serious and then really mean. Like though that's your duality. The comedy is nowhere to be found. He's either serious as a commentator or he's really angry and really aggressive ECW style as a manager. And uh, he to me has been one of the like uh, you know be- better additions uh, this this year to any wrestling company. Cody and Warhorse was next for the TNT Championship. Warhorse got a big introduction from Justin Roberts, and Cody is getting frustrated early on, and you can see he's not really taking him seriously, playing off of you know his, his comments on Twitter throughout the week, building this up. Cody has the heat. He does some push-ups that Arn is getting annoyed at, that Cody is not taking this seriously enough. Warhorse immediately reverses a figure four when it gets applied. Like this was the fastest reversal of a figure four I've ever seen when you do the spot where the, the baby face is turning it over. So the heel can try and fight it. Uh, he comes back with strikes, hits a big stomp down onto his chest and then uh, poses. Cody rolls to the floor and takes a big double foot stomp off the apron and a top rope elbow. And then, uh, Warhorse is dealing with his knee and he jams it. Cody goes after the knee. He goes again for the figure four. Warhorse tries to block it, but then Cody boots him. So he leans back and locks on the figure four for the tap out. 10 minutes, 32 seconds. And Cody's got this shit eating grin afterwards, kind of playing a cocky version um, of of the character here. Yeah, as Cody has said, you know, he he's neither heel nor babyface in these types of matches. It it depends on the opponent. And certainly uh in Warhorse, you had a really good underdog babyface. Uh and, and they told a good story with his leg throughout the match. I thought it ended up being a very solid match. The question is, was it an impressive showing uh to to make me want to see him again? I would contend that we didn't get to see the best elements of what make th- makes this character stand out because we didn't get a video showcasing who the character is nor the online campaign that got him here, which in my opinion is what makes his story so unique. Uh, we didn't even get like, you know, an over the top eighties promo from the guy. And I think uh, especially detrimental is the fact that we didn't have Excalibur here to fill in a lot of these gaps to explain these stories. Cause I would imagine he would probably have a familiarity with the character that the other three commentators wouldn't have. So while I thought it was a good match, I didn't think it was nearly as strong of a debut as it could have been considering the online fervor that got him here. Yeah. To me, this one, it really, he really needed a promo and I mm-hmm. thought they, they greatly took for granted the awareness th- that their audience has of Warhorse. Um, You make a great point with Excalibur that that probably would have bridged the, the gap a lot. Um, 
I just never felt this thing got to the, the next level that a lot of these TNT title matches have with Cody and nowhere in the ballpark of last week's with Eddie Kingston. And I was kind of disappointed we had no follow-up with Eddie Kingston this week because that was one that even seven days later, I think that Kingston made a real big mark on, on people that I almost thought like a follow-up would have been nice this week. And I hope we do see him come back. But uh, Warhorse to me, this felt like... One week he's in, um, and, and I, I don't see this having the same effect on, on people, and it didn't tonight. I guess we don't know if Eddie Kingston has signed it right now, do we? There's, there's, no, there's nothing to suggest he has uh, been signed other than, I mean, you, just, you couldn't have asked for a better outing last week and a response. Like, that was not just the immediate um, hours after Dynamite last week. Like, it was, it was days of people really, like, mm-hmm. shining a light on this performance from, it, from Eddie Kingston. And, I, and he had, like, a really captivating story i think that that story about selling his wrestling boots i think that resonated with a lot of people and the fact that this guy's been around for for 18 years and you know they have that history with him whereas warhorse you know does not have that um that level of attachment with people in terms of years well we get we do get to the point now where we ask if if he has not signed yet how much can AEW be talking about this guy continuing to promote him well well that's it i i think it was more so hoping that there would be some follow-up to Eddie Kingston. The fact there was not tonight would maybe suggest that that that's not the case, that he's coming in. Yeah. Some mass Dark Order members then run in, they attack Cody, and Arn gets in the ring to confront these guys when all of a sudden, hey, that's Matt Cardona! (laughs) Strong Island! And out comes Matt Cardona, the former Zack Ryder. Um, what happened to Zack Ryder? This one apparently, uh, ate him, uh, because (laughs) dude, this guy has spent the pandemic inside of a tanning bed and lifting weights. Like this dude was enormous, like in a, in a size reason, not like he's overweight. Um, dude, he tore his shirt off. Uh, and this dude looked so tanned. This was like Hogan 87 tan. I mean that's sort of the gimmick, isn't it? He's I guess so. He's a bro and uh he fights them off, shakes Cody's hand, and they reminded us multiple times he's from Strong Island, and that was the shirt that they put out right afterwards. Uh Strong Island. Right, right. Yeah. So latest addition to AEW's roster, it's a roster that keeps growing, and uh the first of the recently released bunch. Am I right? Uh, in in AEW, yes, yeah, yeah, and, and one that I think will come with. Um, this guy will be under a microscope because I think, especially if you're telling me that there was uh, a decision that had to be made between him and Eddie Kingston, um, certainly there's arguments you can make for a Zack Ryder in terms of notoriety and you know just being younger. Um, I don't think that's a decision. I mean, I I could see both of those guys eventually coming in. Um. Like Ryder was probably somebody that I, I imagine they would have already had their sights set on, but it remains to me like to 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 be seen how much of the Zack Ryder character he's going to bring over tonight. He appeared as like you know obviously like dressed in black as like a pretty generic like muscle bound badass friend to Cody, and uh, I'm I'm very curious to know how he might fit with this AEW roster in terms of work rate. Um, certainly as a personality, I think, uh, he's got that narrative of somebody who was grossly overlooked by the WWE, who the audience likes in that sense. I think he fits really well. And I actually, I could see him doing really great things on BTE 
with guys like, you know, uh, the Bucks and Colt and Matt Hardy and Kenny even. Yeah, I mean, th- there's definitely potential with him, but I do feel he will be uh, – he, he will he will be judged very closely by people to see like is this guy um you know because you're you're coming in as someone that's been in WWE all these years it's a it's a loaded roster so i think that there it's it's a high bar i think to to come in and presumably with a push as well like if you're attached with Cody you're not just coming here to just be another guy it it also continues to you know raise the question that Cody himself brought up when talking about Matt Cardona in that it's it's a there are a lot of great guys out there, uh, but only so much TV time. And when you have acts, you know, s- such as a Luchasaurus or a Sean Spears, who still at this point haven't really had that level of like, you know, build, in my opinion. He got um, a glove way. He got a glove. He did get, get a glove. Yes, that's right. Yeah. What happened to him? He's not been around. Oh, he's, he's still working. In the, do, do you remember when you'd have to get a baseball glove? It would take a long time to like really, um, you know. Work it in. What happened was, to him? What happened ready? to the glove? I think he might have used the glove like in a match, but I, yeah, we haven't seen him in a bit. So, yeah, it's it's yet another name on the roster. We'll see uh, how, how well he does. Shivani is ready to plug all out on September 5th when he's interrupted by the inner circle. Jericho's furious. He, uh, Sammy cuts a promo on Matt Hardy, and Jericho says, how do you say son of a bitch in Spanish? And Sammy says, Son of El Bitch. Jericho announces that the rematch between him and Orange Cassidy is going to happen in two weeks on August the 12th. Now, this was a real two-week warning, not a Drew McIntyre two-week warning. Yes, yes. No stated. He stated in two weeks on this date, I will be taking on Orange Cassidy, which apparently is necessary when we get match announcements to get confirmations. And... When he beats Orange Cassidy, he's going to have to pay $7,000 for my jacket, which I think is the best stipulation they've come up with in a while, and says that the orange juice on his jacket, it's gotten darker. It's some demon orange juice that he put on this jacket, and he made it even worse. But before August 12th, next week, he's challenging Orange Cassidy to a debate with a guest moderator. That will blow people's minds. And before he beats him up physically, he's going to beat him up mentally. Because Jericho is one of the great orators. And with all the women watching the show right now, you can call it ladies night. And he ends it by asking Santana if his jacket still smells. And Santana says, it smells like cat pee. And Jericho fumes at him and storms off. And Ortiz yells, like cat pee, Tony. And we cut to Jim Ross, who asks, who wrote that? Uh, uh, Cappy, what? How? I mean, it's uh, expired orange juice. Maybe there's there's a natural uh, fragmentation of orange juice that brings it down to the level of cat piss. Really? Okay. All right. So a debate and a rematch over the next two weeks. I'm actually looking forward to this stupid debate. With Orange Cassidy, I mean, it sounds so ridiculous that I, I really am curious to see what, what they do. Because, you know, like, they've, they've delivered every time they've announced something, like, really silly like this with something very creative and very entertaining. So, uh, I, I love it. It's, like, match, and then before that, you have <laughs> debate with Orange Cassidy. 
So there we go. Uh, yeah, I, I think both will be, you know, uh, and, and you have a and you have a mystery of who this this moderator is going to be. They've kind of built it up here. Any guesses? Um, moderated debate. Maybe maybe they can get Anderson Cooper. Probably not. No, you don't think he'd be. Nah. Do you think they would have to be? They would probably be Florida based. I don't know if they're they're uh, flying someone in for this. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Let us know in the comments. Kevin Smith. Be Kevin Smith. Oh, okay. They've um, got a relationship. Maybe. Maybe. Will that blow people's minds? No. And I don't think Kevin Smith will. But he is. He. We do know he is with AEW, not WWE. Yeah. Then we go to a taped segment from earlier in the day that Tony Schiavone is in a in a boardroom with FTR, their legal counsel, the AEW legal counsel, and FTR have brought in Arn Anderson as a tag team consultant to go over their contract. And Arn refers to them as the greatest team in the world. And part of their contract includes the provisions that the 10-second rule will be enforced and the tag rope will be used. Would this not be – these are the rules. This would be like signing with the NHL and you – part of your contract is uh, you will go to the penalty box for two minutes. Like isn't this standard? I mean it really should be, but I, I guess they have established that the rules at AEW are complete – like completely disregarded and – well, is that Not fact? Important. Does this make that fact that we actually the AEW rulebook is empty when it comes to tag matches that they are enforcing rules? So this is part of the problem of them. I don't think like uh, of them not necessarily making it clear that even if the, the the idea is that each ref has their own discretion. Okay, what is it? Uh, playoff rules and all that. Playoff rules. I mean, I feel like it needs to be stated a bit more explicitly, and I I don't even could think you that... get, could you get away with that? Like much yeah. like in MMA, where you know you're going to have referees that are going to have different um, not interpretations of the rules, but you know a guy that might let give more credence to a fighter trying to get out of a submission. Like, do you think you could actually pull that off in this AEW setting where a Rick Knox is going to be way more lenient than say a Paul Turner is going to be for, for example, or do you think we're getting way too convoluted? I, I think it's a little convoluted, especially if you're a new viewer. Um, I also think it really goes against what I feel like AEW has been trying to sell itself on the fact that it is a company that treats its things uh, with a much more, you know, sports-like presentation, even though that's honestly, by this point, we're talking about an Orange Cassidy debate next week. That's it's kind of like they've kind of blown blown past that uh, that sort of, uh, I don't know, claim. But still, you know, at least when it comes to, to their matches, I feel like it would be more of a heel thing to say we're not going to follow a 10-second rule. Um, instead here, like the heels, or at least the would-be heels in the future are are going to be heels because they are making people follow rules. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, something that certainly needs to be, you know, have a have a better handle on. And whether that's, yeah, I think it's just you still have people on different pages and I think just come to one concise solution about how you're going to handle this. I am very curious to see how they like FTR matches will will be will enforce this. Like no doubt they're gonna face uh, what is it Penta and Phoenix and Penta and Phoenix are gonna be breaking this thing like every time they tag in, 
And I think that'll be make for some pretty entertaining, you know, um, interactions. Like if, if they get called out on it. Um, does this also mean Arn is officially with FTR? That was implied heavily here. Yeah, they called him the uh, Arn called him the greatest tag team in the world. Um, you know, we don't know if like he was just here to look over these contracts, but I I can't imagine it being you know like a one time association. This seemed pretty official to me. Uh, it, it felt like it. It was it was it was almost as though like did we did we miss a segment somewhere along the way here with FTR and Arn? Like it just kind of felt like we we jumped ahead like a chapter or two. He has been ringside for all their matches. Like he he's been watching and taking notes for all their matches, so they've set that up. So I guess he got the job instead of Tully. FTR also says that on August twelfth they're going to host Tag Team Appreciation Night. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have the, the Jericho Cassidy rematch and Tag Team Appreciation Night. Oh, that's next week. Oh, sorry, that's no. Two August twelfth is in two weeks. Two weeks. Okay. Tag Team Appreciation Night. Okay. So what do you think that that entails? Like maybe they're maybe they're gonna tell Jericho you gotta find a partner and Lance Orange Ca- Storm? I was gonna say maybe some some thrills will be sought out. That'd be great. Awesome. You get there's nothing actually that's impossible right now because Lance would not be able to get out of Canada. Oh, okay, never mind. Yeah. Yeah. Uh unless the borders opened uh, like this that episode would be done in two weeks' time. I don't so. think they probably wouldn't do that anyway. <laughs> No, Honestly. I don't think they would either. Yeah, but, um, uh, Jer- Jericho and Cass- like that's fine. You can do a tag team appreciation night and still do Jericho Cassidy like that. That's a big match to do the singles rematch. So yeah, I I I, I like how AEW will theme certain episodes out, and this doesn't have to be a giant fighter fest kind of promotion, but it's just it's something. It's tag team appreciation night. What are they going to do on the show? Maybe everybody in the tag team. Maybe they'll bring back some legendary tag teams. I mean. um, they can bring back the Rock and Roll Express for one night against some 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 you know up and coming team. I think that'd be great. Um, who else? Maybe they'll invite Gallows and Anderson. They could. He said they would work with him. I said no heat. Uh, and then Hangman Page walks in with a bottle of Jack. He offers them all a drink. Arn turns it down, and. Harwood and Wheeler have their drink. Page fills his glass the entire way. Uh, I would hope this was gimmick Jack because I can imagine Page would be standing. He just chugged this thing down. Yeah, I would hope so too. Arn actually um, said, no, no more for me. They cut back to the announcers. Jim Ross says, Tony, you were stellar during that segment uh, because he was basically invisible during the entire segment in the boardroom other than saying here we are <laughs> so they signed their contracts that was the uh, the gist of this and tag rules will be enforced for their matches mm-hmm. there was actually a great uh aw put out their tag team rankings and i guess ftr was not listed so wheeler asked like called it out like why weren't we ranked and dude tony khan responded that you haven't signed your contract yet, therefore you can't be ranked. That makes. Sense. I thought it was almost. Yeah, it totally made sense. I thought it was almost too clever that it couldn't have been a a planned tweet uh, between them. But yeah, like I I always like when you can attempt to poke a hole in something and they have an explanation for it. It makes sense. I guess it doesn't make sense why they've had so much TV time and so many matches without being signed. But maybe they're paying. Maybe they were paying for their TV time. 
Yeah, we do know that's possible. I mean, you know, plenty of people on Dark aren't signed. Uh, you know, Eddie Kingston last week. So, yep. Okay. Cole Caban is on commentary for this next match. Uh, we also have Brody Lee out standing by the desk and Anna Jay, who is now affiliated with Dark Order. Yeah, she's officially joined the team and she's, uh, I haven't heard her speak yet, at least not, not on Dynamite, but she's there. So it's Kenny Omega, Hangman Page, defending the tag titles against Evil Uno and Stu Grayson. I thought this was another match where Excalibur was missed. Yeah. And I think overall this show, like you, you could see like, uh, you know, his, his absence was like, I thought Taz was great, but I thought like Excalibur, you, you really do see in his absence, like what role he plays, uh, especially when it comes to the different move sets and focusing on like the independent talent that needs to be like need to get their stories across. You need that modern voice, you know, the guy who, who knows a lot of the current roster better than anybody else. Uh, and, you know, I thought the other three were fine, especially like even Jr. you know, like the, the chance to hear him do play by play throughout the entire show. By this point, he's very familiar with almost everybody on the roster, but you know, uh, without Excalibur, you do certainly miss a lot of things like calling all the names of all the little moves and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I did think that was notable. Uh, the young bucks were shown in the audience. Uh, so was Frankie Kazarian. Uh, we get the, <laughs> It's it was definitely clear here that uh, Kenny Omega and Hangman Page's contracts did not include the mandatory ten count because they <laughs> double teamed Evil Evil Uno for like the entire segment. Uh, we go through the break. Omega, this was the strangest spot of the night. I this was like this is a Pruder film that I was trying to rewind, but this was on the TSN player, so that was not an option. But he Irish whips Stu Grayson into the corner, and we cut to like the corner cam. So we just see Stu Grayson, Irish whipped into the corner, but he doesn't run into the turnbuckle. He flips over to the floor, but we never cut to the camera of his landing. I don't know if he landed on someone. I don't know if he cut, if he wiped out. But then seconds later, he's on the apron waiting for the tag. I'm like, what the hell happened to this guy? Because he just got sent into oblivion and now he's fine. I felt like I was playing a 2K20 or something. I think sometimes you can like really get caught up in, in with like the technology and, and like, you know, oh, cool. Look at that cool shot in the corner. Um, and maybe in this case, they kind of forgot about like the function of it. So Omega then hoists, uh, hoists up Grayson for a sit out powerbomb. Uh, or sorry, Omega is the one who gets hoisted up uh, into the sit out powerbomb by Uno. Uh, there's a belly to belly that sends Omega into Page. Uno and Grayson do the 450 splash cannonball combination. Uh, Jim Ross was very high on Stu Grayson throughout this match, putting him over and his performances over the last month. Uh, Omega kicks out of the 450. Snapdragon is hit to Uno, but after hitting it, he's hit with a frog splash off the top. Page then hits a pop-up powerbomb on Uno. Omega with the V-trigger from behind, and they hit the last call, and Grayson tries to make the save, but can't as Page pins Uno at 13 minutes and 54 seconds. I thought it was a very enjoyable match. Um, maybe, like, the opening match didn't necessarily hit the highs of, like, previous um, offerings that we've seen from uh, uh, Omega and Page. I, I do wonder how much of that is due to the crowd, and this week certainly, like, it was they were way subdued tonight. I thought throughout the night it they were talking about there may even be more people here, but it didn't sound like it. I, I just thought like they, they really struggled with getting like well, an excited crowd. 
Well, we don't know what amount of audio sweetening was done in previous shows. Uh, we don't know what extra restrictions they might have placed uh, on, on the crowds this week or what sort of miking might be different this week. But it was certainly different from previous weeks. Yet at the same time, I mean, I can't really complain about that. If, you know, like on some level that is to like restrict the number of people that are there or to just ensure safety. Like it's just kind of what we have to live with. So um, I, I didn't feel there were less people, though. It seemed like it was the, like the same as usual. It just didn't seem as lively. Yeah, I, I, I again, I don't know how they might have played with the audio last time around, but it, it certainly, you know, there are weeks where it sounded really good. And I can definitely say that that level of reaction wasn't just the the one row of people that were ringside, right? So I don't know if they're miking like an extra crowd that's not sitting ringside or what they're doing, but this week it definitely sounded quieter. And and that's like, you know, that's that's just a comment. Like it's not even necessary to say like, um, if they can't get away from that because they're trying to limit it, then I, it's not really something that they could fix, right? They but, need to pick up the uh, the NBA Jam audio that they use for games. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, he's on fire. Like they should get the commentator too. I've been I've started reading that book actually from Ray and Ali. So, um, well, maybe we'll do a future uh, book review. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting how that all came together. Um, do you know what's crazy about NBA Jam is that I've been playing some NBA Jam over the last few days. Yeah, and at the beginning they ask you you can insert your initials. Yep, and then it says. Look at the previous records, dude. It's got my records from when I was like 12 years old. Holy shit, when I, no way. I, dude, I won 130 games in a row. What? On, under my initials, JJP, uh, <laughs> I wrote. That's amazing. Yes. Wow. Was, and I've, I've gotten back. It, it, uh, I was very rusty. Like My go-to was Sean Kemp and Detlef Shrimp of the Seattle Supersonics. And it has taken me some time to get back into the rhythm, master the turbo. What strategy is there for NBA Jam? I mean, it's like, it's it's like the simplest game there is. Oh no, it's I when when I was younger, this all came back to me. Was that I like the OCD in me? I would have to get twenty five points every quarter because my goal was to get a hundred points in a game. I'm nowhere near that level right now, but Damn, that's like, that's what like we're Michael working Jordan, towards, dude. Yes, I need to. I need to be. I I need to get a reason to detest my opponent and murder them on the court. So that's so, that's my goal. So you must have played with your siblings, right? Uh, I would play with my brother uh, every now and then. Yes. And how heated would those games get? Um, there was the occasional uh, th- throwing up the serious, remo- Did he take it as seriously as you? He would do stuff like if he got annoyed, he would just like hit reset. Uh, that would be his thing. And the other trick he would do, this was more in like the N64 years, dude would take the game and he would just hide it somewhere and then go out <laughs> and do like, I would get super mad when he would, he would just hide the game and he would always hide, like, there was no finding this. It's not like he put it under his bed. It's like he put it in the garage behind like some gardening equipment or something. And there was no finding this. So it would drive me insane. I was more, I would just get heated in the moment. And sometimes I'd throw the remote against the wall. So Jeez, there would be wow. anger, but it it would suddenly then turn to regret. Like, oh, fuck, did I break the re- the, the controller? Um, 
while we're at it, wow. I want to thank several listeners out there. I won't name them. I want to thank the person who has offered to send me uh, flip-flops. I also want to thank the person that offered me Sega Genesis controllers. We have some amazing listeners. I, I do not want to take anyone up on their offers, but it's greatly appreciated, um, the generosity out there. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you need? No, I don't, I don't need anything. I just need people to have a smile on their face. That's what I want. Uh, did you have a smile on your face after Uno and Grayson versus Omega and Page? I thought it was okay. I, I keep, like, Omega and Page are one of my favorite tag teams in the industry right now. Maybe my favorite. Uh, so I, I didn't feel this one hit that level for me that, that some of their tag matches have, uh, even during the, the pandemic. Like, they've had some outstanding matches. Uh, this one, to me, was a great chance for Uno and Grayson to have that blow-away match, and I didn't think it reached that level. But yeah. it was good. I agree. It didn't hit those highs, uh, but I still thought it was, you know, a pretty enjoyable match. Brody tells Caban and Anna Jay to go backstage. They can't see what's going to happen here. He's fuming at Uno and Grayson, and he takes out the papers way. Oh, the dreaded papers. So they are starting to translate bits and pieces of the Mr. Brody character to Dynamite. Yes. Uh, the Young Bucks enter the ring with Omega and Page. As Brody Lee's cutting a promo on Hangman, he's pissed at him and said, we have the numbers advantage. And all of a sudden, like 8,000 creepers emerged from the crowd. So I didn't think they were limiting the numbers here, way, uh, because we got all these creepers coming out in masks. That's why it was so quiet. They're, they weren't allowed to make noise. That might have been it. But then, as it looks like this is it for the elite, they're outnumbered. Way's favorite move in wrestling. FTR's cooler attack comes out and Brody Lee takes the cooler shot and cooler heads prevailed as FTR joined the elite, cleared the ring and fought off the creepers. I love this styrofoam ice chest thing <laughs> they've got going. Oh. It's like the first week it was like, oh, it makes sense. Like they, they had the cooler last week. And the fact it's a thing now, it's awesome. Like this would be the best weapon if Honestly, they had a video game. Man, absolutely. Like, man, FTR, I think in such a short amount of time have really like carved out such a unique act for them. Like way more than they've ever had in the WWE already. Like between the, you know, as much as we might talk about the 10 second thing, I think it's a great thing for that act uh, just to kind of make them different. Um, ice chest. Uh, great. Awesome. Like there's such a fully formed act already in, in just what, like a little over a month or two months here. It's just such a funny weapon to hit someone with. Like it's visually like really funny. Amazing. Like you just someone getting hit with a cooler. Like, yeah. like you can't not laugh at something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Baker is with Rebel, and Baker is telling Big Swole that she's obsessed with her. She knows her suspension will end eventually, and she's going to give Big Swole a chance to face her. But first, Swole is going to have to beat an opponent of Baker's choosing. And then, this might have been missed by some, there was a non-contact high five between her and Rebel. I did notice that, yeah. Diamante did a video about busting her ass for 10 years on the independence and beat uh, and beating Sheeta tonight in a non-title match places her near the top, um, and pressure makes diamonds. Um, which is what Diamante means. Exactly. It's what Diamante means, which she explained at the beginning of this. And this was great. Like, this gave you a reason, like, why this match matters to Diamante to at least give you something for this match coming up. Yes, agreed. And that was our next match. Uh, Jim Ross just segued into, like, his podcast podcast. 
delivery here and talking about pushes that people deserve. And so this is how you earn a push is by winning. Uh, they also mentioned that the deadly draw is going to kick off this Monday on their YouTube channel. Yeah, um, I was quite it disappointed. suggest that this might not be – at least it won't be exclusively on TV. And in fact, it could be an entirely like YouTube tournament. They weren't very clear about that and um, the fact that there's like that level of concern like – or, or that that possibility certainly like has me a little concerned. I'm I'm hoping that if that is the case, that it's it's only like the first round, and that you know going forward, the rest of these matches are going to be featured on TV. Because if it's just the whole tournament on YouTube, really, what's the point, right? Um, yeah, it's I think like they're filming so much content that they're not being paid for. That's going on YouTube. That I mean, I'm sure there's a strategy behind it, but it's. It's just a lot that if you're throwing this women's tournament, I'm with you. Like, what is the point of doing this now? But at the same time, I also can't see them uh, dedicating time to a 16 or a eight with an 18 tournament on TV where you're just loaded with all these matches every week. It's true. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that it's maybe the opening round that's on YouTube and then the rest mm -hmm. I'd like to see like pushed up to, to television once you really could focus on. Cause like to me, the whole point of this is to introduce new acts and new personalities to a mass audience. And by leaving them on YouTube, it, it, it's not even as big of an audience as a dark night because you've conditioned people to watch on Tuesdays. You're going to have to, you know, try hard to, condition people to watch on mondays now um so it, it seems to be an extra thing outside of dark and uh you know i'd like to have at least like the announcement of the teams take place on dynamite which i don't we got one team and that was it i think you could do a whole like even if it's on youtube like that's like the reveal of the teams is interesting right there I think people are interested to see like the drawing and who's paired together. I hope they don't just like skirt through that and you tune in and the teams have just been picked at random. No, absolutely. Like I, I want like full introductions, but you know, maybe it seems like they're maybe treating this kind of like the Mayon classic, you know, like a lot of it just kind of being kept on their over the top service. Well, if it's, if matches are starting on Monday and tonight, that was our setup for Monday. Mm -hmm. I like the May Young Classic. They took that very seriously and promoted it heavily. Like it felt like a big deal every time they did it. Uh, this one, it feels very thrown together where we're starting on Monday and it's on YouTube. Right. There was a million dollar knee lift by Sheeta that Ross said is two million when adjusted for inflation. Sheeta then is holding her neck. This is after a knee strike. And then there was this really clumsy cover where Diamante is on top of her and referee Mike Posey is checking on the shoulder and it just seemed very awkward. Then that was followed up by this really bad looking code red by Diamante where Sheeta just rolled into the rope so there was no pin attempt. Sheeta then lifts her up for the Falcon Arrow for a two count and then hit the running knee. Uh, and this it was just badly timed where Jim Ross was explaining that Sheeta is... Uh, giving off an attitude similar to Cody where she's taking Diamante lightly right as she blasted her with his knee and pinned her. Um, I, I didn't think this was a very good match. No, there's really no nice way of saying it. I, I thought this was sloppy and I thought it was yeah. a weak match and by AEW standards, like pretty bad. Um, and, you know, because I've seen Cheetah in, in a number of very good matches, I, I really have to probably put, put most of that blame on Diamante who, Last week, I thought she and Ivelisse had an okay match, but I even thought Ivelisse was a stronger one of the two. 
Um, this week was another chance for Diamante to impress, and she did not, unfortunately. Um, I think character-wise, the promo piece b- beforehand was really good, but in ring, this was below standard for me. Yeah, um, I-, I echo those same thoughts. This is when Taz says he might be here next week, and they go over the rules of the deadly draw. The It's a random draw, and they explain that all the competitors will draw a color. The matching colors will form a team, and the selections are final and they cannot be appealed. And Ross says, I guess once you draw your teammate, you can't blame this on the virus. Like everyone's blaming everything on the virus, like your laundry. I think that was I, supposed to be a joke. Um, I Like in the, the written rules were that you, you basically can't blame, like you can't change your uh, partner after the fact. Yes. Okay. Um, and then we saw the trophy. So they have made a trophy for this thing. This was a very strange segment. Nyla Rose is with Vicky Guerrero and they're with Dasha. Vicky says the trophy is theirs. It doesn't matter who Nyla's partner is. And Nyla picks the color purple. And Dasha says someone has already chosen that color, meaning Nyla has a partner. And there was not one person who was expecting this teammate. In walks Arian Andrew, the former Cameron of the Funkadactyls. And immediately my mind went to 2013. Where's Vinny? Oh, exactly. I wrote down the same thing. I went to his Instagram. Unfortunately, the last photo of the two of them together was New Year's Eve 2015. And there you was. You scrolled all the way back? Dude, I scrolled. <laughs> there's. There were. This is a guy that his Instagram is ninety five percent him. Oh, of course, like photos of himself. Um, I yeah. don't. I don't. I don't know if Vinny is still in the picture or not. But uh, first thing I thought of here for people who don't know, Vinny used to be um, Arian's boyfriend on like the first edition of season of Total Divas way back when, when John was still watching it, and he was one of the most entertaining people on that entire show. But yes, Arian and Andrew. Um, you know, um, my favorite match is Alicia Fox versus Melina. Um, and she had been talking about coming back for a while, but she, like, I looked up on her cage match. Like, she has not had a match since leaving WWE in 2016. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, a name I, I hadn't heard in the wrestling business in a very, very long time. So when this popped up, I think it caught everybody by surprise and maybe just kind of shows you the level of, like... um Absurd is available. Like, I assume she's Florida based and like that, you know, it's, that might be like who, who you have as options here. Like I'm not expecting like this team to, I I don't know like she's being paired with Nyla. So you would think like, this is not just there for the first round. I think it was done as much, you know, uh, to, to introduce Ariane as it was to just tell you that these teams are going to be really fucked up. Like you're getting, you're going to get Nyla Rose and, like Cameron from Tough Enough or from the Funkadactyls on the on these teams, uh, so that might spark your interest or it might not. I, I think these two could have like a pretty interesting, you know, comedic dynamic. Then MJF walks out of his locker room. There's posters of MJF on the wall. He's got an assistant that he's got to sign off on a document. This was the rich asshole version of Goldberg's entrance. Yes, it was. Sure. We come back from break, and this is his state of the industry address. We've got a podium set up in the ring, the red carpet, there's flags in the background, 
and MJF speaks at the podium. He thanks Tony Khan for allowing him to speak to you marks. I mean people. And gives out the hashtags MJF2020 and hashtag not my champion, which he'll explain later. He says it's uh, I, it's I, great. I, I want to say also throughout the commercial break, I don't know how much you saw of this, but like he was shaking everybody's hand, and then like he would immediately use sanitizer afterwards. They even oh, had, I missed that. They had a woman holding a fake baby that for him to kiss, <laughs> so he would like kiss the baby, and then he'd immediately like ask for mouthwash. That's funny. Yeah. He notes that it's two whole weeks in a row he's been on dynamite instead of being with the bench warmers in the crowd on the sidelines. No offense. And he explains he doesn't get a spotlight because someone is afraid of being upstaged. And that's why this company is in need of change in leadership. Someone came here wanting a paradigm shift who came from a place of titans. And that's not new. It's old hat, brother. He says that John Moxley is not his champion. He is one of the greatest champions ever, that being Moxley. But ever since he won the title, he doesn't agree with this vision of wrestling. That's just gymnastics and flip flop and fly to appease the fans. It's just wrong. The fans have been brainwashed into thinking this stuff is good. A world champion should lead by example. And Moxley is cosplaying. And that's a stone cold fact. Everyone out there wants to be a media analyst and talk about ratings. And he dubs Moxley dictator. John. Dictator John doesn't want you to know that MJF draws better minute-for-minute numbers. And Dictator John doesn't let anybody know that, nor have time for the new guard. He says, look what the old guard has done to this planet, citing war, famine, and disease. Our infrastructure is falling. He says, I can catch this company, put it on my back, and take it to the top. My talent outweighs John's tenure. I'm going to lead this company for the next 25 years. It's time for us to go from being the alternative to being the pinnacle of pro wrestling. I am challenging you, John Moxley, and announcing my candidacy to become AEW champion, and I'll see you at All Out. By far the best thing on tonight's show. Agreed. Fantastic, fantastic segment from MJF. I think as we all expected. This was one of the best segments, I think, like a non-wrestling segment that AEW has had. This was right up there with that that first week that the inner circle was together and Mm. Jericho was just fantastic. Uh, This was awesome. This was a great promo from MJF. Sold you on this match. I mean, in some ways by the end, like I really like the line about it's it's time for us to stop being the alternative and start time for us to be the pinnacle this is like a baby face line by the end of this but he was outstanding in this segment oh man he like he made some really great points and he ended so strong at the end here like he even got some of these extras to start cheering for him like they forgot they were supposed to boo this guy and actually cheering for him i think like something like like this shows you just like how how much professional wrestling and the best promos in pro wrestling um how much they translate to politics Cause this was very much, of course, like parody of you know political campaign, but it felt so convincing um, that I think <laughs> this guy ran for office in the future. I think he would receive like a really great chance just based off of like, re- um, I don't know his his ability to perform like this. I, I mean, love the political theme so much that I almost wish they'd hold off on this till the November pay per view 
so that you can do this character in the whole time that the federal election is going to be front and center everywhere and AEW can kind of play off of it with this character. Uh, perhaps, yeah. Um, perhaps, you know, but I, I don't know what what other options they might have had for John Moxley. And, you know, clearly they feel like this is the right time to headline that show with this match, MJF versus John Moxley. Like MJF is certainly, I would say he was, he's been in mid-card status for... Not necessarily mid-card status, just just kind of out of the, the title picture, you know, this mm-hmm. entire time. But a segment like this immediately catapults him back into that spotlight um, and immediately makes him, like, the most hype challenger Moxley has had, like, during this entire reign. Certainly above Brody, certainly above Brian Cage. Um, I'm already sold on this match. I mean, you know, initially I felt like this was probably too too early for MJF, but a performance like this um, is really undeniable. And, and he he immediately to me with like one performance feels like a that much more of a main eventer. Yeah, I just I thought this was great. This totally sold you on this match. It felt like this is a big title match for the pay per view. It feels worthy of being a pay per view main event. And this was week one. This was the first. The the first reference to who's going to be the challenger. You can, like, next week we're going to get Moxley in a title match. I would say two weeks from now, you should build it up. Moxley responds to MJF. Let people wait for two weeks to get his response to this. And uh, I think that this was just a home run segment. By far the best thing on the show. Next week, they announced it's AEW Super Wednesday. They announced... Hangman Page, Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, and FTR against Brody Lee. Uh, well, the Dark Order here, uh, including Brody Lee, Cabana, Uno, Grayson, and what, what do we have here? Five and seven, whatever the, the hell the numbers are. I don't know. I forget which ones. Alan Angels and the other guy, the, the football player. Yeah. Dark Order. We'll get an update from MJF and Jericho and Orange Cassidy's debate. Uh, and we'd get another match announced at the end of the show. We go to the Tornado Tag main event. Uh, and Darby Allen does not come out when his theme plays. Moxley enters through the arena. And then Taz is backstage with Cage and Starks. And said that Starks beat the living shit out of Darby Allen last week. And he puts over Brian Cage's physique. Like he was Bobby Heenan at the 93 Rumble introducing the narcissist. Just just losing his mind over the the physique he said, like, before that, like, he told Cage to step in front of him so they don't piss people off, or certain people off. And I I, I wonder what he was referencing there. Like, was he perhaps critis- referring to people that were criticizing Taz for taking too much of the spotlight away from Cage? Oh, potentially, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Because that certainly has been, like, you know, something I think you could criticize Taz for. The fact that he's been such a strong presence... You know, Cage just kind of feels like a background, like, accessory. Yeah, I mean, so much about Cage is the the physical presence. Um, like, I understand the hesitancy to have him talk. Um, I did feel, though, because Taz hands off the mic to Starks, and Taz disappears. And Stark cut a really good, like, Starks is a very good promo. If oh, you yeah. watched him on NWA, he brings up how Taz choked out an Olympic gold medalist. And makes fun of Darby being mysterious, who dresses like Pigpen and wrestles like a crash test dummy. When you try hard, you die hard. And it was funny because the music started to play almost like this was the award ceremony and they were wrapping up his speech with the music because he was going long. But, you know, this Starks is a very good promo and he got a spotlight here. I thought he sounded great. Like, 
this was Ricky Starks all of a sudden in the main event of Dynamite, which is kind of crazy when you just think about where the guy was two months ago. Um, not signed. I mean, even before that, you know, to go from like the NWA, like TV studio to all of a sudden main event on TNT. And you know what? Like the guy cut a promo like this that to me f- makes him fit so well. Like he proves that he d- deserves a spot like this. He, cause he is that level of talent. I thought he sounded really good putting him like, you know, on a league of like somebody like a John Moxley on the microphone. I think he's a great addition to Taz and Cage, brings this a speed and a different personality to the act. Um, and at least in the, in the way that he, he is presented here in talking, he feels very much like an equal to Cage, not just somebody who's just a, you know, secondary. And I've always felt that this is the best way you can get the most compelling promos out of guys is that, you know, I, I am sure MJF knew I've got this segment this week. And whether he was told two weeks ago, one week ago, three weeks ago, like the idea, okay, you're going to have 10 minutes and it's selling the pay-per-view. And maybe he's got like, hey, this is the the direction we're going, but this is your promo. And when you know that you are going to be in that spotlight, it's going to force you to come up with a hell of a promo because it's it's you that are out there that has to sink or swim. And I think that is one of the biggest assets of AEW is putting that responsibility on these performers like this is not a company that is writing out your promos it's like maybe you're going to get some direction but you're out there to get yourself over and if you know next week you've got a four minute promo you're going to think of that all week of what am i going to do with those four minutes to get myself over and i'm sure that would apply to a ricky starts here yeah a guy with a proven ability to be able to do this um you know was given that time and like i thought he was fantastic so Taz went back on commentary for this match, and he was great. Like there were points where he's just getting so emotional, and they're telling him to to relax. He's I'm I'm sorry. He's so like into Cage and Starks. Like Taz was Taz and MJF to me were the stars of this show. Uh, as far as personalities, yeah. Uh, just by the end of the show, the people that I thought had the biggest like the lasting effect for for me, it was Taz. It was MJF. And it was Jericho in his segment. And it was all like non-wrestling stuff that, that like stuck with me at the end of this show. Um, Cage also had all the, the cup marks on his back. So hopefully he's doing okay. Um, as they come out, Darby Allen leaps off of the entrance ramp uh, or off, off the, the tunnel with the coffin drop coming out of nowhere uh, and just kills these guys. And thus the match begins and it's a tornado tag. Darby goes so for this. Did they p- announce this as a tornado tag or? Yeah, the, the, they announced this last so week. Because it be a it's a tornado tag. tag, that also means no DQ. Yes. Right. Okay. Because um, I guess that didn't really sink in. You know, I thought tornado tag just simply meant you don't have to tag in and out. I didn't know that meant you could use skateboards with thumbtacks. Well, uh, <laughs> I mean, they took some liberties with tor- tornado tag. It basically means, yeah, there's no tags and therefore you're not going to get disqualified. <laughs> um, but doesn't necessarily include thumbtacks attached to skateboards, but it's playoff time way. Right. Br- Darby did this Pescado and Cage didn't catch him. He just stood there and Darby bounced off this man. This was like watching um, someone jump off of a tree and hit a car and just ricochet onto the sidewalk. That's what this resembled. 
Jumping off of a tree and hitting on a car. Um, like wow. a big muscle car. That's what this looked like. If you watch it, like he just bounced off this dude and just fell to the floor. It's the most insane thing. Uh, it, it was not the most insane thing, especially in this match. Moxley hit a suicide dive. We go through the picture in picture, which these four did not slow down during the commercial break. Uh, we've got a chair being brought out. Starts speared Darby. Um, they go through Cage, Discus, Larry. It's Moxley. All four men are down. Cage brings a trash can out that Starks doesn't catch, and or Taz calls them out. It's like, Ricky, you've got to catch the trash can. So Moxley then gets dumped onto the can, and as Moxley is getting pinned, you can see his head like leaning up to look for Darby to make sure he's there to make the save. Uh, we get a coffin drop onto... Uh, who is this onto? It was... Uh, onto Cage. Is it a DDT combo? Yes, that oh sorry, I wrote here coffin drop into the paradigm shift. Uh Moxley then dives onto Starks, Cage kicks out, then Allen has the trash can and he attacks the biceps of Cage, and Taz admits that's smart, that is smart. And Allen then brings out his thumbtack filled skateboard that he uses on Cage. Moxley applies an arm bar onto Cage as Starks gets hit with the skateboard to the back and is pinned. And his back is just full of tacks and the blood that is coming down his back. This looked like it totally sucked. Yeah, I don't know if this was worse or like um, the Cody's like thumbtack spot last week. Like this, this looked terrible. Um, There's a a lot of tacks in back-to-back weeks. In two weeks, yeah. Uh, But, you know, this was a, like, it felt like a really short match but i found it very it was only satisfying. like 10 minutes or so yeah i was definitely taken aback when like the the trash cans and the <laughs> thumb thumbtack skateboards were brought out because i did not expect this to be a hardcore match but um i i like was like okay great awesome um it was a spectacular finish i thought the baby faces ended up looking cool as hell i'm certainly you know a little disappointed for taz and cage and ricky starks because this is like, you know, a number of straight losses, I feel, for that team to, to John Moxley. But um, it's better than, you know, the alternative of just, you know, 50-50 booking. So I thought it was a fun main event. Afterwards, Darby points at Moxley and Shivani announces that these two aren't aware, but next week they're having an AEW title match. And Taz, with a message for yours truly, says, I'm going to puke. Yeah, uh, I, th- the announcement of this match feels really rushed. Like, I definitely feel like they could have used a bit more time to build towards this match because there's way more story to be told between Moxley and Allen as sort of like, you know, older brother versus younger brother or just even two friends finally going up against each other. Instead, it's just like they're announcing the title match next week. Um, and I do wonder what the thinking is behind that. Was that always the plan here? Or... That they just want a really big main event for next week. I mean, like John Moxley is, it's like him and Jericho, they are like the two big, you know, ratings movers. Um, So Moxley, especially Moxley in a title match, like that's, that makes it a big show next week with Darby. Uh, I'm with you. I could have used a week to have both guys just 
do some promos, build up the match, give us like that that extra push. And I'm sure they can do that online over the next week. But to me, I'd, I'd want an episode just to brace for, hey, we've got a title match next week and we're going to focus on it this week uh, of what's coming up in the next week. But they're moving ahead with this. And and who knows, maybe like they have it on this timeline of how they want to peak for All Out and with MJF, like when they want to get that program uh, rolling with Moxley involved for his response so they're getting this out of the way but i mean in theory it's it's another match where it's darby taking on an established star and it's gonna have to come up short yeah yeah which you know which the guy can't afford like he's that type of underdog character and he'll be fine you know afterwards but to me this is even more than that because of the association between the two characters like Moxley versus Allen to me is a bigger match than Moxley versus Cage. It's a bigger match than Moxley versus Brody Lee. Uh, and the fact that those matches had so much more build than something like this, which I look at as, you know, more important, more kind of like meaty, you know, type of match in terms of storytelling, even just in, in terms of anticipation, because both guys have a very similar like daredevil type of like hardcore style. Uh, for all those reasons, I'm a little disappointed that we're just getting such a quick build uh, in one week and even just such a quick announcement without the storyline to really set it up. So that concludes dynamite. I thought tonight's show that um, there were definitely th- some things I really enjoyed, mainly the MJF promo. I really enjoyed, you know, Taz, as I mentioned throughout this show. And I like the fact that they have built up quite a bit for the next, for next week's episode and for two weeks from now. So mm-hmm. I think you have a-, a lot of stuff set up. So I think those were all positives. I thought like in ring, I thought this was a good show, but certainly not at the the high caliber of some of the dynamites that we're accustomed to. I just thought that there were several performers that just had like off off nights in several of the matches. There was some sloppiness throughout. Um, I, I had more criticism of this dynamite than a typical week. Yeah, um, I, I I felt like maybe my expectations for some of these matches, uh, even though I enjoyed pretty much like almost all the matches except for the uh, Diamante Sheeta match. Um, maybe my expectations were almost like a little too high going into it because I felt the crowd reactions kind of lacking. And again, I don't even really know, feel like it's fair to criticize it because we are dealing with, you know, circumstances, but, um, I'm impressed at how much they set in motion for the future between all the storylines, uh, for two weeks from now, all the storylines heading into all out and just even all the matches that they set up this week for next week, every match they've announced for next week. Not only looks good on paper, but has a storyline reason to exist. And I, you know, it's such a simple concept, but like, I really respect how AEW has been able to put it all together, uh, you know, repeatedly for several weeks now, really like months now. So I thought it was a good two hour show. All right, let's go to the feedback. We got quite a bit of it here for uh, for Dynamite. So we will uh, get through this uh, tonight's show. From our listeners at forum.postwrestling.com, give this one a 7.05 rating out of 10. Paul from New Jersey, Tag Team Appreciation Night, a debate between Cassidy and Jericho. Dynamite is simply the best wrestling program right now. Solid storylines, great wrestling, and I even find myself laughing at jokes instead of cringing like I do on Mondays. One company feels fresh while the other feels stale. I don't care for Brody Lee's character, and Jim Ross seems lost. Other than that, another enjoyable shell. Another enjoyable shell. 7.5. Okay. Andrew from Cape Breton. The show was okay tonight. MJF definitely reminds me of Jim Cornette. 
He's like Cornette, but with less racism, sexism, and general bad behavior. It sucks as I used to be a huge fan of Jim's and he would make a great on-air personality for the promotion, but he can't be trusted. The positives of tonight were the tag title match, which was great in ring, but Colt, I felt, really put over this Dark Order storyline better than anything that's been on TV recently. The main event and the opener was also great. The negative, sadly, were the women's division. I thought Diamante was a bit sloppy, and I couldn't believe they brought in Cameron of the Funkadactyls. If that doesn't tell you what AEW thinks of their women's division, I don't know what does. All right, let's uh, continue here. Biff was a big fan of the MJF segment, and then we go to Ryan. When Mr. Brody took out the stack of papers, you knew shit was about to get serious. MJF is finally throwing his hat into the ring. He's got my vote. Although you know they will split up, Omega and Page have had some absolute bangers as a tag team, which leads me to FTR, Arn, and Hangman. Four glasses, but the enforcer didn't partake. He's involved, but can't be a participant. Is that foreshadowing of some sort? Um, Would that one be a four horse, uh, horseman group? Okay. Yeah. The cowboy being in the four horsemen, I think, would be quite interesting. This is a um, long list of people putting together this theoretical horseman group. Now, Cody, we, Spears, Matt Cardona. You know, that that's Mark Cardona. Yeah. I can't see Zack Ryder being in the four horsemen, but... Uh, crazier like we've had we need a mongo maybe in 2020 who who is the closest to a mongo we have on this on this show uh you know um tino sabatelli was on dark last week yeah 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 so I don't know. <laughs> is four he more, your pick more, as the mongo oh, I football player <laughs> um yeah i don't know if uh, there can only be one mongo really yeah he really i mean <laughs> the man is a. Uh, the man is, yeah, in rarefied air, I think, in, in the wrestling annals. But, you know, to, to that would, to me, entail that uh, Hangman would turn heel. And at this point, I can't really see that happening. I feel like all of this is really just a tease of like, okay, is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? With Hangman, ultimately, I see him being the top babyface of this company. And therefore, I don't know if, you know, being uh, going back to like a secondary role under Cody um, in in a potential four horsemen. I don't know if that's, that would be the best role for him unless he was to lead the group. But, um, even then I like the lone wolf thing, I think works really well for him. Uh, all right, we go to, uh, Noah from Vaughn who says, I thought this was a bit of a step down from last week's show. However, I thought the last half hour of this week's show was tremendous. MJF with an incredible promo and then an entertaining main event. My match of the night was a tag title match. But both teams worked really well together, and for the first time in a while, I thought that Hangman and Omega might actually lose the belt. I wasn't too surprised to see Matt Cardona in AEW, although I was surprised by how they had him come out and help Cody instead of challenging him for the TNT title. This show really missed Excalibur on it. He knows the characters better than anybody else, and I felt his presence was really missed on tonight's show. And as much as I hate to say it, I thought JR was pretty bad on the show. Tony, too. JR seemed like he was pissed and didn't want to be there, and Tony didn't add anything of note to the booth and repeated what his colleagues said on numerous occasions. It's a shame because I usually enjoy the commentary on Dynamite. I, I think that th those are like fair criticisms of you know where you could really see where Excalibur is missed. I also look at you know how much of a curveball was thrown at Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone. Like when did they learn that? They were going to be uh, without Excalibur tonight. And I would say, like, yes, Taz is a seamless transition. But this was also an episode where we pointed out that I think was more reliant on an Excalibur than most weeks. I'd argue every week is 
Like Excalibur is really important. When I would just say that that like with the inclusion of Warhorse and I think with some of the people that were in the different matches, I just thought that last he week you had Eddie Kingston. Yeah, but that was also one where I think that was a story that could easily like you could see Jim Ross could really get into that. That he had the story of here's this this longtime veteran who is has sold his wrestling boots. And I think that was a, a personality Jim Ross could really convey and get across. Whereas Warhorse, I think that that's way more out of the comfort zone. Right. Well, next week he's going to have to call the uh, debate. Do, do you call the debate? Maybe they just lay out for the debate unless yeah. it's the moderator. I can say to his point, I could see, you know, next week or whenever it is, um, Matt Cardona challenges Cody and it's like the two friends and it's someone that Cody respects and and you do that story. Like I think the TNT title is all about what different um stories Cody can tell, like how many different um match stories he can come across. And here's like a longtime close friend of his that wants to go for the title. It's weird how like quickly we've taken a Max Car- or Matt Cardona. It's a weird name. It's like a very uh like, it's not that, weird. It's just it's it's no. It's his legit name, but it's just it's one name. Would you come up with that name if you had to name a wrestler from scratch? Are you coming up with Matt Cardona? No, but I also wouldn't be coming up with Dolph Ziggler. Um, well, no one should be coming up with Dolph Ziggler. It's an awful name. Triple H. <laughs> yeah. Or uh, as he's known on Capital Carnage, Hunter Hearst Hemsley. Hemsley. Okay. You wait for that one. Uh, uh, we go to Kenny here. Weird show for me tonight. I thought that in ring, it was one of the worst episodes of Dynamite, but all the promos were awesome. MJF, Jericho, Britt, even Ricky Starks. You're right. Ricky Starks, I, I would put in there as well. Britt Baker, I, I didn't think it was like, uh, you know, not a big positive or negative. It was just kind of there. Um, those names came off like big stars and made me care. Warhorse, on the other hand, just didn't seem to have it tonight. I know people love the guy on the indies, but something didn't translate on TV. Finally, I'm not thrilled to see them using thumbtacks two weeks in a row. That's something that should be special and could quickly lose its luster. Poor Ricky Starks back. Six out of ten show. Alrighty, we go to Eric from Miami who says, I did not like the distraction loss from Sammy. AEW listens to criticism online, but it's crazy to think that a criticism is to do a screwy finish once in a while. Yeah, I don't think the finish probably was uh, anyone's desired outcome in that match and i mean it just it sends you to sammy and matt hardy which seems to be where those two are going um and on that note for all out uh this is alexander from portland who asks who we see hikaru shida facing at the pay-per-view uh if Britt baker and big swole are tied up on that show um what was nyla's last promo didn't she like say something about wanting the the belt yes so I would imagine Nyla gets a rematch because uh, unless this Arian Andrew thing um, takes maybe her all maybe the Arian gets the title shot maybe she's gonna come in and uh, she'll win. No, I no. hard to see that. So uh, like yeah, our options are Swole who's taken up uh, Statlander who just had surgery and Britt Baker who's probably tied up with Swole and Nyla Rose because who else is there at the moment? Well, Penelope Ford was in there. I mean, they did do the they match. The match. But um, yeah, yeah, you've kind of like there isn't the obvious name other than going back to to Nyla again. Which I mean, you it's fine. Like they they Nothing did that at that. They did they they had a really good match at, at Double or Nothing, and by that point, you, from May to September, that's a long enough gap that 
Uh, you can you can go back there. It, it it does continue to shine a light on the problem they have with their women's division and just um perhaps the like the lack of people that are ready or at least like at a top level. Maybe it it points to a bigger problem they have with like spotlighting and giving enough airtime to to prominently feature and creating new stars in the women's division. Um, they have plenty of people appearing, but then like disappearing and Abaddon now is in the ranking. She is number five and really the only fresh face of like the entire rankings right now in that division. And she made one appearance on dynamite and has since only been on dark. Um, so does this mean, you know, well, we'll see, we'll see how they address it with, with this tag team tournament. All right, we go to uh, Brad the Dad from Halifax, who says this was a really good show every. This was a really good show every week, <laughs> from the ten man tag to the tag champions match to the wild brawl. All really compelling. So much happened, but I feel rewarded for watching and not overwhelmed at the same time. You are both right about the, the weekly promo packages for next week and having something to look forward to week to week through said promos makes me double check my DVR to ensure it's recording. My highlight was Matt Cardona in AEW. As a big fan of him from his time in WWE and his approach to promoting himself from his YouTube show, I'm so happy he has been signed and will get a chance in AEW. Any idea why Brian Myers was not signed too? Do you guys think they would have been better off as a tag team? Um, I I'm I think, you know, both had indicated they wanted to go separate and i i don't think that's a bad idea i think that they come there those two coming in as a tag team in this company of all places i don't think that would be a good direction for those two um brian myers is going to impact so um i don't know what his contract status is if that leaves him available to go and do dates elsewhere but i mean that's that's where where he's going for now so uh did not surprise me at all um well we don't know if it's a conscious decision or the fact that maybe this is where they were able to get jobs. Um, I yeah, uh, like AEW is not opening the doors for everybody. Like that's just a, a fact. And I wouldn't like. I think Impact's in a different position where they are trying to gain whatever attention possible, and it incentivizes them to go after numerous ex WWE talent. AEW really they do not have the spots to go out and sign six of these talents that have been released. And I wouldn't necessarily recommend that they do that either. Like, I don't think, you know, when you go up and down that list that AEW, like there's a necessity of some of these needs, like Zack Ryder included, Rusev included, like AEW does not need to get any of those names. But if they have a solid idea for one or two of them, I think that's sort of like what they're looking at. Mm hmm. Okay, next one up is Raymond in Sacramento. Shockingly, a 7 out of 10 show tonight. I felt that Excalibur's absence and possibly a difference in direction had the pacing of the show feel off for the duration. An odd feeling since Dynamite has been on a hell of a run the past few months. Jared says, 10-man tag was a weak opener and never hit its stride for me. This was the closest Orange Cassidy has come to just feeling like another guy. Cody is such an excellent storyteller and his matches are exciting. They built War Horse in a week by amplifying fans. Next week they turned a seemingly offhand tweet. Next they turned a seemingly offhand tweet into a great segment and an August eighth and twelfth card to look forward to. The rest of the show was okay. Nothing bad, but nothing really jumped out at me. Okay, and last one here is Sean from Albany. 
I found tonight's show to be quite enjoyable. Cody worked with a different non-regular Cody working with different non-regular workers for AEW means I'm willing to accept a wide variance in performance. Just felt like they didn't have it tonight. The rest of the show was great. I don't know if you saw it during the picture in picture, but the highlight was MJF kissing the baby and then using mouthwash. Love that the next two weeks have a very clear path. I'm interested to see how NXT counter programs. Nine kissed babies out of ten. There you go. I'm glad you caught the uh, the baby spot. The fact that like they put that much effort into just a picture in picture thing, I thought was great. Well, you know what? I have learned I need to pay more attention during these picture in pictures because look what I missed. They taught me that this week. Well, um, maybe I'll have a conversation with you about that um, af- off air. All right, everybody. That's the end of the show. Uh, a lengthy one here, but thanks to everyone for tuning in here to Rewind to Dynamite. We're going to be back on Friday. Uh, we'll have the show up with Brandon Thurston during the day, and then Friday night we are live, 10, 15 p.m. Eastern time for all members of the Post Wrestling Cafe as we will discuss all the latest news. We'll go through SmackDown, and we'll dedicate an hour to Yuji Nagata versus Minoru Suzuki from Friday morning. Yeah, we'll discuss every slap in the face in great detail. Yes, it's a new segment. It's called 50 Plus Minutes for 50 Plus. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's it, everybody. Go check out Up Next and go to postwrestling.com. All that great stuff. And that's it. Goodbye. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.